From back in the 50s, Rockin' Robin. I know I'm playing old songs here. What can I say? I'm an old guy. But not that old. I wasn't even near being born when that song came out. I don't even know the year. Probably about 20 years before I was born. But anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. August 27th is today's date at 7 p.m. You may be listening live, you may be listening in the archives, but either way, that is the date we are recording this program. If you would like to call into the program, here is the phone number. It is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Make sure to show your caller ID, or otherwise, you will not get through. If you want an alternate number to call the show, we have that too. In the 702 area code, our Mount Charleston line. It's an old 70s telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston. Number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. So you can reach me on either of those phones. Actually, I just realized you can't reach me on either of those phones because I didn't start Skype. I knew there was something I forgot. I rushed to get this thing on time for once, and then I forgot to start Skype, which is the way I take the phone calls on this radio show. So, apologize for the delay as I start Skype up. And anyway, let me run down the agenda while Skype is getting going. The agenda for tonight is as follows. First of all, as usual, we have a free roll this week. But before I get to our normal free roll, we have a special free roll in addition to the normal free roll, which is starting in just a few minutes. Now, if you're just getting ready for that free roll, for the new one, if you're just hearing about it now, you probably won't be able to get there in time because it starts in six minutes. But let me explain what's going on. We have a sponsor here called Stat Clash. It's a legal online fantasy sports site for money. You compete in fantasy sports for money. And unlike online poker, this is completely legal, so you get your money very quickly if you win. And they've been a sponsor of ours for over a month. They are now offering a PFA-only, when I say PFA, I mean Poker Fraud Alert, a PFA-only free roll in fantasy sports, not a poker free roll. But you actually play against other people on Poker Fraud Alert. This week it's only $10. I don't know what the prize pool is for future weeks, but hey... It's free money only for people on this site, not for general customers of theirs. So if you go to the Flying Stupidity Forum and look up a thread I started called PFA Only Free Roll on Stat Clash tonight at 7.10 p.m., which is in four minutes, read the thread for details, and if you miss it this week, don't panic because you will get to play again next week. There's another Stat Clash Free Roll next week. So I encourage everybody to sign up to Stat Clash using the link that I have provided. There actually is a uh, Poker Fraud Alert referral code now, which there wasn't in previous weeks. And I have good news for everybody. 100% deposit bonus now. Not just 50%, 100% first-time deposit bonus if you use the link that I posted. And if you are already signed up for Stat Clash, you can still play the free rolls if you follow the instructions in the thread to get yourself tagged as a PFA user. This way you will be able to see the free rolls and access them. So uh, find the thread, PFA only free roll on Stat Clash tonight at 7.10 p.m. That's the name of the thread on the Flying Stupidity Forum of Poker Fraud Alert. And again, if you miss it this week, you can always play next week. 
But something you still have ample time to play this week is the usual free roll we have, which is the No Fraud Online Poker Room free roll. It's a poker free roll, No Limit Hold'em. And this week it's actually a lot more than usual. It's $107.77. The reason for that funny number is that uh, there's $100 for the normal prize pool, and that came from user ZSmith69. Very generous to him. He gave the entire 100 ZSmith69 gave the 100 for the normal prize pool, and the special 7th place prize was donated by Rick Astley. So, this week, 1st place will be $50, 2nd place will be $25, 3rd will be 15 4th is 5 5th is 5 6th is 0 If you finish 6th, you get nothing. But 7th is $7.77, which is more than 4th, 5th, and 6th. So, you might want to try to finish 7th, even though that's not the top prize. It'll be interesting. Anyway, that's the free roll this week on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of the screen. It's completely free to play. You don't even need play chips, but you do need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. And, to qualify for the free money, as usual, you need to have had an account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated January 1st, 2013, or before. If you have signed up to the Poker Fraud Alert forum after that, or haven't even signed up yet, then you need to send me an email, or a PM, you can PM me to Dan Space Druff on Poker Fraud Alert, or you can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, that's all one word, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and tell me how long you've been listening, tell me what you've enjoyed, what you haven't enjoyed, tell me about this show and this forum, and convince me you've been around and did not just come around to play the free roll for the free money. And I will give you an exception that will last for the lifetime of this site to win the free money. But do it before you play. Because if you email me after you win, I will not accept it. And it will start next week for you. So. That's going on this week. Two free rolls. Our $107.77 poker free roll in the no Fraud Online Poker Room, and the $10 Stat Clash free, ra- free roll on Stat Clash for Poker Fraud Alert users only. Very nice. As you might have imagined, Poker Fraud Alert has given away more money on our radio free rolls than any poker podcast in the world, and this is all thanks to our users who have donated almost all of the money that has been given away. Very nice, and we have this every week, and I'm very... Pleased to be giving away this money every week, even though it did not come from me. So I don't know if we're going to have a free roll. A uh, free roll. I, we are going to have a free roll. I don't know if we're going to have a co-host this week. Right now we don't, but you never know. Maybe one will join. Last week we had China Maniac. The week before we had beer and poker. By the way, I'm seeing here that uh, Bubbles is PMing me in the chat. He will add five dollars to the free roll. I'll make that for sixth, but you have to get it from him, so don't uh, don't collect it from me. But if you finish sixth and you don't like it, the fact that you got $0 for it, PM Bubbles, and he will send you $5 on black chip poker. The rest of the money you can get whatever way you want. So that's the only part of the prize that will come on a poker site. The $107.77 will come from me, either from PayPal or cash or check, whatever. So that's a cash free roll, but since we pay nothing for sixth, Bubbles has generously 
donated five dollars on black chip poker that he will send you if you finish six. But this is between you and him, so if you finish six, please uh, PM him, and he will uh, send it to you. So thank you to Bubbles for that. Here's the agenda tonight. This week was not a good week if your name is Justin Smith. Now, which Justin Smith am I talking about? Am I talking about Justin Wade Smith, the career scammer who scammed a lot of people in Las Vegas and Hawaii, including uh, one person that a lot of us know pretty well? Or is it the other Justin Smith, Justin Boosted J. Smith? He isn't a scammer, as far as I know, but I hate to announce... I don't hate to announce it. I'm happy to announce that Justin Wade Smith is in big trouble with the FBI. I'm not as happy to announce that Justin Boosted J. Smith has also pleaded guilty to a crime. So both Justin Smiths are in trouble with the law this week. Totally unrelated to one another, but uh, I will talk about both Justin Smith and what's going on with them. Remember Perlod Friedman saying that you need to practice avoidance rather than face him at the poker table? He said that on ESPN in 2006 when he made it deep in the main event. Later, Perlod Friedman got to be best known for first getting cheated for like 500k on UB and then joining UB as one of their pros telling people it's safe to come back when it actually wasn't. And he knew it. Anyway... Prahlad's wife, whose name was D. Luang, before she got married to him and became D. Friedman, D. Luang is also practicing avoidance, and she's avoiding him. They are apparently already separated, and she has filed for divorce. And TMZ is covering it, of all things. So we'll talk about that, and I'll talk a little bit more about Prahlad and my various experiences with him over the years. A lot of you who listen to this radio show enjoy poker but are not necessarily successful at it I'm sure if someone could bring you a magic cure for your losing poker ways you would jump at it something that could just instantly make you into a big time winning player what if you could just do one really quick easy thing and become like the next Phil Ivey would you do it you probably would well there's poker pills now out on the market that claim all you have to do is take their pill and you will become a big winner in poker. (laughs) So I will read from their website and maybe even get to chat with the representatives or call one of the representatives. Let's see if we can reach them. The poker pills. Just pop a pill and you're a great poker player. Personally, I'm about to order a whole batch. This show is called Poker Fraud Alert because we mainly focus upon the scams and scandals and bad people within the poker community and bad companies, of course, too. So, I have to talk about that this week, as usual. Two separate poker couples. Now, when I say poker couples, I I mean people who are both poker players that are a couple, a romantic couple, you know, like a, a man and a woman. I don't necessarily mean that they're famous but they are, there are two separate poker couples, neither of whom I've heard of before, 
that are scamming people. Totally unrelated matters, much like the two Justin Smiths. And I'm not even sure if these accusations are accurate, because they were just reported on the site by users. But I'm going to read them anyway, because I think they're probably credible. There are very few times that you will read about scamming accusations on a poker forum, and it turns out that they are not true. I can't even think of one. I'm not saying it can't happen. But uh, almost every time someone comes out and accuses someone else of being a scammer, it's almost always true. So that's why I report these, just playing the odds here, that I'm not falsely accusing anyone. Speaking of cheating, Mike Matisau was very unhappy about something at the Seminole Poker Open. This is at the Hard Rock in Florida. It's a uh, big poker series there with the $10 million guaranteed for the main event. Uh, he was very unhappy about the possibility of chip dumping and collusion there. I'll play a little clip from him talking about it, and I'll give my reaction. Also, the Seminole Poker Open did better than expected, but it doesn't surprise me at all, and anybody who was expecting a sick overlay there, I think, was uh, kidding themselves. Ultimate Poker. You know, I'd love to say more good things about them, since they are the first legal online poker site in the U.S., and currently the only one that you can play on for real money. But they keep having issues, and a lot of these are inexcusable. They have finally rolled out new software, and that software has crashing, cashier problems, freeze-ups, and other issues. And support has been unresponsive for the most part. We'll talk about that. Finally, I'm going to give a warning to Caesars 7 Stars members, of which I am one... If you have stayed at a Caesars property in recent months, especially the last uh, few weeks, you should check your RC, your reward credit balance, as you might have had some RCs taken from you due to a computer error. A computer error that I discovered and I brought to their attention and that they have fixed. So if it wasn't for me, this would be still going on. I wish I couldn't brag about these things because I wish they just weren't happening. It's not even really a brag. It's just uh, really what happened. So we'll talk about that. So that's the agenda tonight. If you want to call in, please try to wait for like a lull in the action. Not when I'm in the middle of a rant or otherwise I probably won't answer the phone because I'm in the middle of talking, but you know, maybe I will. You never know. But if I don't answer, don't call back over and over and over again. Just try you know, 15 minutes later if I don't answer. I will try to read the chat room. You can interact with me in the chat room instead of calling, but keep in mind that I cannot read the chat and do a show at the same time. And if you heard a pause right there before I said that, that's because I was trying to read the chat as I was talking. It's very hard to do a radio show and chat at the same time and read the chat. It's just just too much to do at once. And I can do it more easily when I have a co-host. But when it's just me, you tend to get dead air when I'm reading the chat. But I'll try anyway. But just uh, keep in mind that I may have a hard time reading the chat. Someone's testing me here. Hockey guy said in there, fuck you, Druff, thinking I won't see it. But see, that just jumps out at me. I can look at the whole page there and I see the words fuck you and that just that just pops out. I can't miss that. 
All right, so let's get going here. A lot of weeks we hadn't even started the show yet at this time. So you still have 21 minutes to get to the free roll, the uh, No Fraud Online Poker Room free roll. But keep in mind, you have to get there on time because there's no late registration. It starts at 7.40 Pacific time. Hmm. It says it starts on uh, August 2nd, (laughs) the thread. But no, it actually starts today, 25 days later, August 27th. Anyway, uh, first topic. Let's talk about Justin Smith. Justin Wade Smith. There's two Justin Smiths who got in trouble this week. Uh, One expected to get in trouble. That was Justin Boosted J. Smith. He's been in trouble for, for quite some time over a sports betting ring. But Justin Wade Smith... I don't think he expected it, uh, though he should have, given what he's been up to. Uh, Justin Wade Smith, he actually... It surprises me how long he's been getting away with what he's been doing. Uh, He's like a white trash guy who is from Hawaii and is not particularly impressive when he speaks to you. He's He's not your traditional con man. He's not smooth. He's not really charismatic, but he likes to swear up and down that he is a trust fund kid, and that he is a billionaire. He likes to say he's uh, heir to the Chase fortune. He sometimes even says his name is Justin Chase, which it isn't. I think his mother might have actually been named Chase at one time, but nothing to do with the Chase family. He was saying the Chase Bank family is, is what he's part of, that he's heir to hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's always some story, I can't get the money right now because you know the, uh, I'm switching banks, uh, there's a bank error, um, the bank I- I'm using is in Hawaii, and I'm in Las Vegas. He's been basically operating mainly out of Las Vegas and out of Hawaii, sometimes in LA too, and scamming people, just with the same story, over and over and over again, just tons of victims. A former business partner of mine was scammed by him. A lot of you people know who that is. And that person was scammed $12,000 by Justin Smith. Um, Surprisingly, even though my former business partner was not the first victim by a long shot, nobody else had thought of posting on the internet about what Justin had been up to. Now, to uh, my former partner's credit, he was the first person to try to blow up the internet about Justin Wade Smith and not surprisingly later on people found him and and said hey you know Justin scammed me too I'm actually surprised that people got scammed after it was all over Google about what Justin Wade Smith was up to when we're talking back like back in 2007 because you would think when someone asks you for that type of money and claims to be part of the uh, the chase fortune you would think you would Google them before giving them money. And when you Google the person and see Justin Wade Smith as a scammer with his picture up there, at that point you don't give the person money. But I guess a lot of people still don't use Google when they should. Anyway, this guy's been scamming for, for years and years. I mean, I was talking about 2007 there. And we're all the way to 2013. We actually tried to report Justin Smith to the Las Vegas Police Department in 2007, and they were not interested. They said, unless you can produce a contract, a written contract, that uh, Justin promised to pay you back all this extra money and has represented himself as having more money than he really does, if he just told you 
orally that he did this. If he tells you orally he has a lot of money and, and he'll pay you a lot more than he actually did and you don't have it on, in writing, they claim it's not illegal. Now, I don't know if that's true, but they claim, the police claim that according to Nevada law, it is only illegal if you have a written contract. But somehow you can go up to people and orally tell them, hey, I have a lot of money, money coming. Hey, you know, loan me 5000 today, I'll uh, um, pay you 100000 later. Somehow that's not illegal even if you don't really have the money you claim. It's a civil case, they claim. I don't know if that's true. It sounds ridiculous to me. But that's what they told us six years ago, and they refused to do anything. Whether whether we're right or wrong about that, they refused to do anything at Las Vegas police, even when other victims were brought forward, even when um, we had plenty of evidence to present against Justin. So he got away with it. He got away for years and years until somehow the FBI finally took interest. Here's a news report on KGMB in Hawaii about Justin Wade Smith. To call Crime Stoppers. Milaka Lincoln, Hawaii News Now. Well, I'm glad they're all around. I hate when they say Hawaii. I know that's technically the way you're supposed to say it, but it just sounds pretentious. Hawaii News Now. Milaka Lincoln, Hawaii News Now. Milaka Lincoln. (laughs) That's like a fake name. Okay. Let's go on with this, the story here. They're all alright. A Big Island man accused of stealing from more than 30 people has pleaded not guilty. 32-year-old Justin Wade Smith of Hilo is facing 39 charges. A federal indictment claims he solicited more than a million dollars from people by pretending to be a law enforcement officer and the heir to a trust fund. Officials are asking any alleged victims to come forward. For a financial crime investigator, these are very difficult cases because so many of the transactions took place were cash transactions. Therefore, by, by the way, it says uh, this is an FBI agent named Tom Simon talking right now. There's not the normal paper trail that we see where we can identify victims. Smith could face 20 years behind bars and a fine of up to $250,000 for each count. He'll be back in court on Tuesday. Yeah, good luck collecting that fine from him. <laughs> the only skill this guy has is scamming. Where's he going to get $250,000 for each count? I mean, he couldn't come up with $250,000 once if he couldn't scam. Here is the article from that same station. A 32-year-old man was indicted on 39 counts of wire fraud. Justin Wade Smith is accused of stealing more than $1 million from dozens of victims. According to the FBI, Smith told people he was an heir to a big trust fund but needed money to get the inheritance. It's a little bit different than what he claimed six years ago, but you know, same type of thing. Smith promised them a big return for their help, but the FBI says it was all a lie. So far, more than 30 victims have come forward in Hawaii and Las Vegas, but authorities believe there may be more. Anyone who believes they may have been victimized by Smith is asked to contact the FBI office in Kona at 808-329-5106. Smith pleaded not guilty. His trial is set for October. Now, they're saying other victims need to come forward. So... They have identified 30 victims, the the FBI. Now, this just makes me scratch my head. And not because I have dandruff. Well, that too. But if you Google Justin Wade Smith, let's see what comes up. Um, So there's the, uh, the, the, the live leak video of him smoking meth. But then the fourth thing down is a Wicked Chops article 
about Justin Wade Smith scamming my former business partner. So, and then later on the front page is the big thread about uh, Justin Smith. Hey, look, Poker Fraud Alert is up there too on the uh, front page of Google for Justin Wade Smith. That's, that's very impressive. Anyway, what I'm wondering here, how could the FBI not have identified my, my former business partner as one of the victims? It's all over the internet. It's all over the front page of Google for Justin Wade Smith. Did the FBI not run Google to see like who has written about him before? Like If I was investigating that, that would be the first thing I would do. But no, they did not contact my former business partner about Justin Wade Smith. He is actually contacting them. And I know this because he made a statement on his site about it. So, uh, pretty unbelievable on the part of the FBI. I don't know how they could have missed that. Um, I, I wonder if the Las Vegas Police Department feels stupid at this point. I mean, they must have gotten so many reports about Justin Smith's antics there. And um, they did nothing. He got away with it over and over and over again. And I, I, I have to believe that they could have found plenty of crimes to charge this guy with. Now, if you remember, on the previous radio show I was part of, there were some girls that uh, he got involved with, twins, named uh, Brittany and Brianne Eisen. And by the way, um, the Justin Smith I'm talking about right now is not poker player Boosted J. This is just a scammer named Justin Smith who happens to have scammed some people in poker. This is not Boosted J. We'll talk about Boosted J shortly, but a different matter. Anyway, Brittany and Brianne Eisen were twins, lived together. They were very attractive. I saw pictures of them on MySpace. And Justin Wade Smith, uh, he worked his way into their lives and uh, I'm sure pulled off the uh, millionaire scam on them and apparently he was buying them things. Uh, He married Brittany. And we even spoke to Brittany at one point. And and you know, we told her that Justin's a scammer, Justin's lying to her. She just did not believe a thing. She she did not believe a damn thing we had to say. We spoke to her mother. Mother didn't believe us. Sister didn't believe us. Nobody believed us. They thought Justin was a wonderful guy and we were just saying horrible, mean, untrue things about him. Uh, later, Brianne, who is Brittany's sister, twin sister, and uh, the mother, realized that Justin is a piece of shit. And they turned on him and in fact... Um, they, they tried to get Brittany to end the relationship after he had committed domestic assault on her. So I guess uh, Justin had hit Brittany at some point, and that's when uh, Brianne and the mother really turned on him. In fact, uh, they came and said, hey, look, we're sorry, we, we should have believed you in the first place. But um, They tried to get Brittany to end the relationship. She did not. And um, Brianne Eisen... Yeah, the sister of of the wife of Justin Smith killed herself in 2010. I don't know why. I don't know if it's related to Justin. I don't know what. But um, Brianne Eisen committed suicide, as far as I know. That was reported to me. I never verified it, but Brittany is still alive. I don't know if she's technically still married to Justin. But when he got out of jail, 
he's been in jail a number of times. But this is the first time they're really going after him, like really big time for the scamming. When he got out of jail, he got straight back with Brittany. Even though he beat her up before he went in prison. And she must have figured out at some point that he was a liar and a scammer. Like, like what redeeming value did this guy have at this point? He wasn't rich. He was a scammer. He beat her up. He wasn't even good looking. It's white trash. But she got back with him. I don't know if uh, she's with him anymore. But uh, I guess some girls never learn. So that was uh, Brittany Eisen's story. As a side note, one of the times we pranked Justin Smith on radio, not this show, but the previous show, Justin was with Brittany and Brianne, and he kept inviting me over to hang out, even though he knew, you know, he knew I knew exactly what he is, and you know, I had been pranking him on the show before, and you know, he knew I was very aware of everything that was going on. So he, he didn't think he was going to be scamming me. So I, I didn't, did not understand this angle, but he invited me to come over to wherever he was living at the time, I think somewhere in L.A., and uh, hang out with him and Brittany and Brianne, and, and he was trying to tell me that um, you know that he wanted to fix me up with Brianne. It was the strangest thing. Obviously, I never uh, came over. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe if I did, maybe Brianne would still be alive. Probably not. But that really happened. In fact, uh, if you find the archives of that old show, you can probably hear it. Really weird. So, uh, I hope Justin Fry's here. I, I hope he goes away for a long time. This guy is a career scammer in every sense of the word. All this guy did was lie and scam. The number of victims was staggering. And what really surprised me was the number of people who talked themselves into believing that he was telling the truth even when the evidence was presented to them that he was lying. It's one thing for a con artist to trick you. But once someone, another victim comes forward and presents the evidence that the person you're dealing with is a con artist, you would think at that point you'd say, oh, okay, makes sense. No. A lot of these people just would not believe it until every penny was fleeced from them. Now you heard on there, you heard on the news report that Justin had scammed in excess of one million dollars. So you must think he's pretty rich now, right? No. Justin Smith had a gambling problem and a compulsive spending problem. Justin... I mean, I spent a little time in his presence. This was someone who had an obsession with being rich. This was not a scammer who would scam to make a living or to uh, set himself up for life. This was a guy who wanted to live the rich man's life. He wanted to spend, he wanted to gamble big, he wanted to live the life of somebody who has a whole lot of money and doesn't care about money. Except he didn't, he was broke, and the way he would keep feeding these spending habits and gambling habits was scamming. So, much like Peter Falcone, another scammer who has been part of this community and scammed some poker players, Justin Smith was broke, and Justin Smith was scamming... um, I think actually for two reasons. One was to enable his lifestyle, and and two, strangely enough, I think he actually felt in a way that his victims were his friends. It seems weird, 
But he actually, that's why, like, after you were his victim, like, people wondered, why was Justin Smith letting himself be prank-called so often by my former business partner when he knew clearly that he wouldn't get another dollar out of the guy? Like, why not just hang up on him? But Justin Smith took these calls, he let himself be pranked, he let himself be humiliated on the radio, because he actually felt he had a relationship of some sort with the people he scammed. It was really weird. But that was part of this guy's psychology. It seemed like he had no real friends, and he felt like he could only make relationships with other people by lying to them and scamming them. I'm not defending him here, I'm just saying that's a, that was the weird way his mind seemed to work. So, like, when he was inviting me to come over and hang out with him and, and Brittany and Brianne, I, I have a feeling he may have really thought he was inviting over a friend. I, I don't think he believed he was going to scam me. I don't think it was a trap of any sort. Really, really weird, but bad guy. This was someone who scammed people... Uh, without any regard for how it hurt them. This wasn't someone who, like, borrowed money from someone else and hoped, under the best-case scenario, they pay it back. You know, like, an example. Uh, Someone who borrows 5K to play a poker tournament and lies to the person they're borrowing from and says, hey, you know, I have have 100K in the bank. I'll give you 5K on Monday. Just spot me the 5K right now. I can't get it out of the bank. But in reality, the person does not have anything in the bank. And their plan is to win money in the tournament and then pay that person back with the money they win and they'll never know better. But that is their plan. They're not looking to steal the 5000 They're just looking to take the 5000 to play the tournament and hope everything goes well and the person doesn't realize they've been scammed. Now, I'm not defending that, and it's a really crappy thing to do, and it is actually stealing, but it's not the same and it's not as evil as actually scamming people just to take money from them. To where... Under no circumstances could they ever get their money back. You're just taking it because you want to take from them, and that's it. Because you want their money, and you feel their money belongs in your pocket, period. That's what Justin Smith did. Justin Wade Smith. As I said, over 30 victims were identified, and I guarantee there's probably several times that over the years. He's 32 years old, He's been at this at least since 2007, and I believe for years before that. So, really bad guy here, and I hope he goes away for a very long time. But anyone who got scammed by him, I don't expect them to get back their money, because where's the money going to come from? He has no ability to make money. So, That's what's going on with Justin Wade Smith. I will update you guys as more information comes to light. If by some odd chance you are a victim of Justin Smith, then please contact uh, the FBI, and I'll give you that phone number once again here. That phone number is 808 329 5106. And by the way, the picture of him, he really looks bad. The time has not been kind to him. Looks a lot older than I remember and a lot fatter. So. Let me talk about the other Justin Smith. Totally different story, totally different situation, same name. 
think his middle name is Charles, the Justin Boosted J. Smith. Now, I actually played with him at the 5K Limit event. That's the one where I finished 5th this year at the World Series. I think he finished like 18th or 17th or somewhere around there. He he barely cashed. Uh, Justin Boosted J. Smith, he kind of had an appearance like he was on a lot of drugs. He, he didn't really seem like he was completely sober. And he's not really a limit hold'em player. I have to say that he got kind of lucky to go as far as he did in what was otherwise a pretty tough tournament. But eventually caught up with him, and eventually, uh, you know, he cashed, but not uh, not really big. You know, in limit hold'em tournaments, you have to get cards to win. And um, sometimes you're going to go out just because the cards do it to you. Other times you'll have contributed to your own demise. Uh, I wouldn't say Justin Boosted J. Smith was a terrible limit hold'em player, but it clearly is not his main game, and clearly he made a lot of mistakes that uh, the limit hold'em experts that were also at the table were not making. So, uh... Anyway, the bigger story about him, and not about uh, him cashing in the 5K limit event, it was the fact that uh, he has pled guilty to involvement in a sports betting ring. Now, I reported before on this show, there was a big bust on the East Coast. Uh, It was related to sports betting. It was a Russian... uh, It was like a Russian sports betting slash gambling ring. There were 34 people indicted. And some of them were poker players. And some of them were names that you know pretty well. Uh, Abe Mosseri, Bill Edler... Peter Feldman. Uh, And then there was a Justin Smith listed there, but it wasn't clear if it was the same Justin Smith as Boosted J, since it's a common name. Uh, Also, Edward Ting was uh, indicted as well. He's a big cash game player. So, uh, you know, the FBI's Eurasian Organized Crime Squad uh, did this in uh, a few months ago. I don't remember the date anymore. April, that's what it was. So, uh, the list of 34 names. Some people who were indicted were bigger, were more involved in this than others. So, there were the ringleaders of the whole thing, and then there were the people who were kind of like the pawns. Now, from what I could tell from reading the indictment, it's been a while, I read it last in April, which is four months ago. Um... the poker players involved were mainly the small fish. They were not the uh, the big organized crime figures running the gambling ring. They were doing what you would expect they would be doing. Soliciting bets from other poker players and collecting the money from them. So, um... And they had another one of these a few years ago. Where again, some poker players were swept up in the whole thing. So... Especially in Atlantic City, this is lucrative business because there is no sports betting in Atlantic City. You can only do that in Nevada. So if you want to bet on sports in New Jersey, you have to do it illegally. So people are playing poker. A lot of poker players like to bet on sports. And, uh, you know, they, they like dealing with other poker players who they know and trust. People like Bill Edler or Justin Smith or Peter Feldman or Abe Masseri. So... 
these people were uh, facilitating the gambling, but uh, weren't the ringleaders, and they weren't the major figures in the bust. Anyway, last week, two people entered guilty pleas, uh, William Barblatt and Kirill Rappaport. They entered guilty pleas for aiding in unlawful activity and conducting an illegal gambling business including high-stakes poker games in New York City. When this whole thing went down at first, everyone panicked. Oh my god, they're busting the underground poker games in New York. That's not what this is about. They were going after this gambling ring of which some of their activity happened to be running poker games, but they were mainly interested in the sports betting. Anyway. um, On September 4th, which has of course not occurred yet, eight days from today, Justin Boosted J. Smith and Edwin Ting are going to enter their guilty pleas. It is said that Justin Smith will reportedly plead guilty to taking payment for internet gambling, while Ting will plead guilty to operating an illegal gambling business. Now, they can serve a maximum of five years in prison for pleading guilty here, but they will get much less. It is even possible that they will get just probation. I would not be surprised if that's what happens and uh, you know, maybe in exchange for their cooperation. I don't think they'd be pleading guilty if they would be getting five years for uh, a small part in this whole thing. So it sounds like to me, since uh, Justin Boosted J. Smith was taking payment for internet gambling, it sounds like he was taking money from poker players who wanted to play sports bets and then betting it for them online on these sites that were run by this uh, this syndicated ring. That's what they mean by internet gambling. They they don't mean that he was taking payments so they could play him online in poker or whatever. They they mean that he took payment for sports bets that were eventually placed over the internet. So that's uh, so Justin Boosted J. Smith. He has not pled guilty yet, but he's expected to do so on September fourth. I will report. I can't do it next week, as it'll only be to September third. But uh, I'll report the week after how much time he's going to get in prison. I don't know if he'll be sentenced on the 4th, but uh, if he is. Uh, In case you wonder who Edwin Ting is, he's a cash player. He plays in uh, Ivy's room in the Aria, which is the high-stakes room there. And um, I I see his picture. I I recognize him. I I don't really know him, though. Justin Smith, I I first met through Neverwin. He introduced himself one day. He came up to me uh, in the hallway of the World Series a number of years ago and said, Hi, I'm Boosted Jay. I'm friends with Neverwin. I said, Okay. Didn't even know who he was then. But, you know, I, I, I never want to be rude to these people when they come up and say, Hey, you know, I'm this person. You know, I know Neverwin. I know whoever. I like, even if I have no clue who they are, I go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Hi. Nice to meet you. Like, I, I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I have no idea who they are. Even though it turned out that uh, as time went on, he became a bigger name in poker than me. But uh, at the time, I didn't know who he was when he introduced himself. But then I hadn't seen him for a long time. But I, I did sit right next to him this year. And I, I actually would have asked him about this, but I had forgot about it. It was so weird because I'm like, I'm sitting here playing with him. And all I'm thinking is like, like the guy seems like he's kind of on drugs. And he had kind of a different, more like stone look to him than he did when I first met him. And that was what I was focusing on and his play. I wasn't really thinking about, oh, yeah, he got busted a few months ago. I have no idea why that did not come to mind after all the hours I spent with him. Anyway, 
Uh, I wonder what's going to go on with Bill Edler and Peter Feldman and Abe Masseri. I wonder if these guys are going to plead guilty. As I said on a previous show, I was actually present in person in another poker player's house when Bill Edler and Peter Feldman were watching several TVs intently in 2006, I think it was, of sports. I mean, they could not get their eyes off the freaking TV. And they said they had a lot of money on these games. And they kind of fell off the face of the earth as far as poker was concerned after doing very well in 2006 and 2007. So either they went busto in poker and that's what they moved on to was this uh, sports betting ring or um, or I don't know, maybe they were playing in those underground rooms. I, I don't know what they did. But uh did not surprise me to hear that those guys were involved in a sports betting ring given how much into sports betting they were when I had met them. So, word of advice to anybody listening to this who is thinking of being like a runner for a sports betting ring, don't. I mean, they, they keep doing these busts. There's been either two or three of these in the last few years where poker players have been swept up in these sports betting rings. There was the one where that guy uh, who was the uh, involved with Cantor Gaming at the M Casino, how he was involved in the whole thing, and then there was various poker players in Vegas and Atlantic City who were placing bets on Pinnacle for American players. They, they all got busted. So it's not worth it. They're going to catch up with you because the, this, the U.S. government hates sports betting. They hate illegal sports betting with a passion, much more than poker. So if you get involved in an illegal sports betting business, you're going to get caught eventually. It's not worth it. If you want to do illegal things to make money, even if, even like victimless crimes, they're technically illegal. At least do something that is not in the government's crosshairs. Because the government has been going after illegal sports betting rings for years, for decades. It's going to keep happening. Anyway. Someone saying in chat, Bill Edler, Abe Mosseri are still fugitives. Is that true? Hmm. I didn't picture uh, either of those two as guys who would just disappear when an indictment comes down against them. They, they seem like the types that would, at that point would say, all right, all right, all right, fine. I mean, they just don't seem like the fugitive types to me. But yeah, I, I just see a link in the chat now. He's right. At least about Abe Masseri. This is from the FBI's own website. FBI.gov. NY fugitive Abraham Masseri, here's a picture of him, is wanted for his role in operating an illegal sports bait bookmaking operation. So he is a fugitive. The FBI's looking for him. He's on the run. Unbelievable. I remember last year we talked about Abe Masseri being involved in some kind of weird hand at the, uh, I think it was like the 50K event at the World Series. So like, you know, here we're talking about him on this show as just a regular poker player. And, and now he's on the run from the FBI. Crazy. And uh, I don't know about Bill Edler, but uh, this guy's saying he's a fugitive too. This forum wars who's uh, listening to the show and is in the chat room right now. So I appreciate that uh, that tip on that. 
Interesting. Someone saying in the chat maybe they fled to a place with no extradition treaty. Guess it's possible. But you know when you do that, you've really got to have no ties back in the U.S. Otherwise, you're you're leaving your whole life behind. You won't see your family, won't see your friends. If you own a house or anything else like that, you can't just pick it up and take it. I know if the FBI wanted me, I would not run away. The only way I would ever run from an FBI indictment would be if I did not commit the crime, if it carried a very stiff penalty, and I thought there was a high chance they would convict me anyway. But I couldn't convince them you know, that I was innocent. But if it was like something really, really serious. Like if it was a few years in prison, I would still stay and fight it, even knowing I'd probably lose. But like, let's say I was facing 20 years in prison, and, and I didn't do it, and I couldn't convince them I didn't do it, then I'd probably run. But that, that wouldn't be likely. You know, it's, a, it's, it's very hard to be convicted of something and know you're going to be convicted of something you did, really didn't do. It happens, but it's, uh, it doesn't happen much, especially in, uh, when you're talking about like financial crimes. Violent crimes is tougher because you know, you can, sometimes there's not all that much evidence, and it, it, you have to count on eyewitnesses who identify the wrong person, and then you can get convicted of something you didn't do. But uh, uh, for financial crimes, it's very hard to be wrongfully convicted. Someone saying in chat, innocent men don't run. I mean, I I think that too. I think innocent men don't usually run. I just said that's the only circumstance is where I would run is if um, I felt like I was going to be convicted and be facing a very long time in prison for something I did not do. But that wouldn't be very likely at all to ever happen. And I, I didn't think that Abe Masseri was a major part of this from what I read in the indictment. He did not look like a major player. That's what I'm not getting. I mean, did he really run away just to avoid uh, a moderate prison term? Hmm. Well, anyway, not a good week to be Justin Smith. Not a good week at all. Well, I'll tell you about someone else who's not having, I don't know if it's a good week, but uh, hasn't been very happy recently. Talking about Prahlad Friedman. See, that's a video released by UB in uh, early 2011. Prahlad had just joined UB, the new UB, you know, as opposed to the old one that cheated everyone. This is the new UB, run by good, salt-of-the-earth, honest people. They signed Prahlad Friedman, the one of the biggest victims of the scandal. He was cheated out of at least 500k, maybe more, by Russ Hamilton himself. Russ even admitted this on tape. So Prahlad, instead of condemning UB, 
Join them. Join them as a sponsored pro and tell everyone it's safe to come back to UB because it's the new UB. It's the new owner. So this is a promotional video, a really dumb promotional video that they made to introduce Prolod to everybody as a new UB pro. And what I just played you was uh, this really crappy music he was playing in his bedroom or his office or whatever. And uh, he's sitting there jamming out on his computer pretending like he doesn't notice the camera's right behind him, and then turns around and, and as if he's seeing you, the viewer, says, Oh, what's up, everybody? And now he goes on to explain what's going on. I just want to let y'all know that I'm the latest UB signed homie. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like uh, butthead laughing. Signed homie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what else I hate about Prahlad? I hate how he's one of these white guys who tries to act black. I actually, I, I totally hate that. When you have the the most, the whitest white bread dude with the most whitest, up, the, the whitest upbringing. I'm not talking about a white guy who grows up in the ghetto and, and takes on uh, mannerisms of, of, of black people or whatever ethnicity is, is prevalent where they grow up. But we're talking about a white guy, a white, white guy who acts black because he thinks it sounds cool. That's just lame. It makes you a poser. Yo, yo, I'm the new UB homie. Yo, yo, yo. It just sounds so stupid. It makes you sound like an idiot. And he wasn't even a kid when he was doing this. He was he was uh, 33 years old saying this crap. It's not like a high school student being a wigger temporarily. Here. Here's butthead laughing. Let's see if it sounds anything like... Uh... Prahlad's laugh. <laughs> Let's listen to Prahlad. You be signed homie. <laughs> yeah, and I'm real excited. <laughs> The old UB. This is the new UB. This is again about two and a half years ago when he. Uh, this is the promotional video he did for UB. Homie, <laughs> yeah, and I'm real excited about it. There was the old UB, but this is the new UB, and I'm here to shake things up. Call me the point guard, whatever. We're gonna have fun. We're gonna be kicking it. I'm gonna be traveling the world, playing tournaments, taking them down. Yeah, t- playing tournaments with your money we stole. That's great. You can watch Perlod play tournaments with money that was stolen from you. That'd be real fun. And we'll just be chilling. Now he turns back around to his computer and is like snapping his fingers to the music as he's playing on UB. Pathetic video. So, um, I had a big problem with this, as you might imagine. Much worse than the problem I had with people like Maria Ho and. Tiffany Michelle and Brian Devonshire signing with UB. 
bigger problem than I had with people like Hollywood Dave and Sean Rice and and uh, the Poker Ho staying with UB when they'd already been there before the scandal. The biggest problem I had was with Prahlad because Prahlad was like the face of the victims of the cheating on UB. You thought about really, really egregious UB cheating and the people who suffered the most. The two people you thought of were Prahlad Friedman and Brad Booth. Those are the two who really got it up the ass the worst by the UB cheaters. Maybe Mike Mattis out too. So Prahlad was victimized so badly by Russ Hamilton there. And instead of condemning it, and instead of doing all he could to where everyone would hear his story and stay away from UB in the future, which was still owned by the same people, he made this video telling you, ah, it's the new UB. Ah, what's up, everybody? It's the new UB. That's the old UB. That's the new UB. Oh. Now, this would be bad enough if it just was done by some greedy, degenerate poker player who's just selfish and doesn't give a crap about anybody. But, this is much worse. Because Perlod was a long-time left-wing, progressive, anti-corporate sort of guy. And he always made everyone know, he let everybody know how he hated corporations how, despite his success in poker, he would not sign with any poker site, including pretty legitimate ones like Poker Stars, that he would not sign with any of them. He would not wear any logos because he's not a corporate sellout. And he feels that corporations are bad for the, for the country and for the world and that they're greedy and that they hurt people and they hurt the common man. Blah, 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 blah. I don't agree with that stuff, but you know what? At least I respected him at the time for being a populist for someone who... who seem to care about the plight of the everyday common man. I thought he was... I didn't agree with uh, a lot of what he said about corporations, and I, I thought he took the whole thing way too far. But at least I could respect what he was doing. At least I could respect the reasoning behind it. So here was a guy who refused to represent sites like Poker Stars and other legitimate poker sites that were out there, but when it was all said and done he ended up representing the most evil poker corporation of them all, UB. Now, this would be bad enough if he just didn't do his due diligence and uh, didn't realize what he was doing, but he did know what he was doing because a lot of people, myself included, tried to come to him and said, Prahlad, do you understand? It's the same people. It's the same owners. They're using you. And he didn't care. He made excuses. He actually hung up on me. He didn't want to listen to Daniel Negreanu. They had long debates about this. He told Daniel, you don't know what you're talking about, homie. Prahlad knew what he was doing. He closed his eyes. He covered his ears. And he promoted UB that was run by the same crooked people that had stolen from him. And what did they do? They stole again. And when Black Friday came, just a few months after that stupid video of, oh, that's the new UB, homie. Just a few months later, just three months and nine days later, Black Friday came down, and guess what? UB had no money. All that player money on deposit was gone. And all the people who had deposited, because they thought it was safe to come back, because Perlod said so. And the reason people thought it was safe to come back when Perlod said so is because he was such a big victim. 
when the victim comes forward and says, hey, I was the biggest victim here, but look, I trust them now. These are different people. You go, oh, well, if Perlad, who got 500K stolen from him, if anti-corporate Perlad, who cares about the little man, if left-wing progressive Perlad is willing to tell me and put his name on the line to have me put money on this site because these are new owners, there's got to be new owners. I mean, Perlad, he couldn't be saying this without, uh, without you know, he couldn't be lying here. He couldn't be saying it without knowing the story, could he? He couldn't be directing me to sign up on UB without knowing for sure that it's different people than my money's safe, right? <laughs> but he knew the truth. He either knew the truth or covered his ears so he couldn't hear it. And these same common men that Prahlad claimed to care about, he directed to sign up to a scam site that stole everyone's money. And you never saw Prahlad coming out after that saying, hey, sorry about that, homies. Let me give you back the money that you be stole from you because you signed up after seeing me say everything was okay. No. He didn't do shit for anyone. Well, now this is an old story, though. This is over two years old, so why am I bringing it up now? Well, Prahlad talked about practicing avoidance and somebody very close to Prahlad is practicing avoidance. That would be his wife. Soon to be ex-wife. Di Luang, who is now known as Di Luang Friedman, has filed for divorce. Here is an article off TMZ about the whole thing. Surprised TMZ cares about Prahlad Friedman, but I guess, uh, hmm. I guess he made enough of a name for himself. They do. Now, of course, TMZ likes to. Uh, this is a dumb article because it's written by someone who knows very little about poker or the community. But you know, nevertheless, it's part of TMZ, which is a very major site. This was uh, dated August twenty fourth, three days ago. Poker superstar Prahlad Friedman high stakes in Malibu divorce. Two badass poker studs are getting a divorce. It's kind of an insult towards D there, a stud. A stud for a female is a term for a lesbian who's very butch. Like uh, Vanessa Sells would be considered a stud. Two badass poker studs are getting a divorce, and the stakes are high, really high, because they involve a ridiculous Malibu party mansion. The players, Perlot Friedman and D. Long Friedman, Perlot's a legitimate a legit poker badass who's won more than $2 million in major tournaments over the years. Which isn't really true, because that doesn't count buy-ins. D is no slouch herself, having raked in at least 90 k on the tables. Well, in addition to 90 k not being a gigantic sum of money, especially in poker, um, if you cash 90 k lifetime, you're probably down, unless you've barely played any tournaments. D has just filed for divorce after nearly seven years of marital bliss. According to the court documents obtained by TMZ, she cites irreconcilable differences. The couple has no children together, but they do have a 4,200-square-foot estate in the cliffs of Malibu with a koi pond, gym, and incredible views, and it's just miles from the beach. The couple separated back in April, so the question is, who had to move out of the house? Two poker players in a standoff? Your guess is as good as ours. As I said, kind of a dumb article, and then there's a picture of the house. Uh, I, I did some more research since then. So I could understand this better And the whole thing's kind of weird uh, First of all The picture they posted on TMZ They, they took it from the uh, site Zillow.com 
where the house is up for sale. So uh, this is a picture taken specifically to make the house look really good. Uh, now I, I'm not going to say it's a bad house. It looks like a very nice house, but um, TMZ, of course, is exaggerating things. The weirdest thing is if you look at the listing on Zillow. This is what it says: it's for sale for 2.3 million. Four bedrooms, four bath, 3,001 square feet. Now, 3,001 is far from a mansion. It's a nice-sized house. But um, you don't have to have that big of a house to be 3,001 square feet. You're, you see a 3,001 square feet square foot house all the time driving through uh, decent neighborhoods. Um, that's not a mansion by any means, 3,001 square feet, no matter how it's laid out. Um, in the picture, it actually looks bigger. In the picture, if someone asked me to guess how big that house is, I would have said like, you know, 5,500. But I think it's a misleading picture. But here's the weird part. It was built in 89, by the way, so it's 24 years old. Which is, uh, you know, moderately old, but not really old. But a lot of Southern California houses uh, were built after that, depending on where they are. Description. Sophisticated three-level mini-resort, awesome views, entertainer's dream, gourmet kitchen with Viking appliances, hardwood floors, private gated pool with spa, cabana, sauna, fountains, koi pond, skylights, and built-in sound system. Buyer to verify the square footage. Owner states at least 4,200 square feet. Isn't that strange? Owner states at least 4,200 square feet, but yet it's listed as 3,001. Of course, owner stated that there is the new UB owned by different people. So take that for what it's worth. I think I might believe 3,001 more than 4,200. This is buyer to verify the square footage. I, I That's so weird. Like, like why don't they just... Why would you say 4,200 but then not put it in the listing? Why would you put the listing as 3,001 but it's 4,200? I have a feeling that it's something weird, like there's some sort of illegal addition on there that does make it 4,200, but they can't put it because they don't want to uh, get the city's attention. That's what I'm guessing. Now, Prahlad may not have made the addition. He bought this in 2005. Uh, now, of course, there was a uh, a real estate bust, a boom then a bust in uh, the whole country uh, LA's was not as uh, significant as Las Vegas but it still had a boom and a bust uh, Prahlad bought this from someone else let's see, I'll look at the price history of this uh, This here, he paid 1.8 million for it um, believe it or not in um, two, in 1996, you get this thing for 635,000. Then it went up to 942. It was, about, it was bought for 942 in 2000. Change hands again two years later in 2002 for 1.3 million. Change hands again in 2005. I don't know why people keep selling these houses so quickly. I mean, it's a, that is kind of unusual for a house to sell this often, like every four years, um, when it's this large. Usually, people. Uh, turn over houses quickly when they're small houses and they want to move to, move up to something bigger. But this is a kind of a strange thing for someone to buy and sell so quickly. But anyway, bought again in 2002 for $1.3 million. Prahlad bought in 2005 for $1.8 million, And now it is listed for sale for $2.3 million. Uh, now, property values have gone back up somewhat in the L.A. area after uh, going down for a while. The property value probably hit its peak around... 2007, early 2007, it was probably worth uh, 
uh, 2.4 million or so. Zillow is estimating that it's worth about two, two, 2.1 million. Yeah, it says 2 million actually for Z, Z for the Z estimate. But um, Zillow is often wrong, so I wouldn't uh, put too much stock in that. I have looked at the other pictures of the house, and uh, you know, I'm trying to determine if it really is 4,200 square feet, why it's only worth 2 million. You may say, what do I mean by only worth 2 million? Well, Southern California houses are very expensive, and um, two million doesn't really get you all that much. I mean, you get a nice house in, for two million in Southern California, but you don't get some mansion. Now, forty-two hundred is still not a mansion, believe it or not. It's big, but it's not a mansion. Um, like six thousand, I would say is a mansion. But um, still, he's in Malibu. He's not in Malibu, right by the ocean, so it's not worth as much as like a oceanfront property but it's a it's in the hills above Malibu technically considered Malibu 24 years old uh, I, I the appliances do look very nice the interior decorating does look a little bit weird in some places you know, some of it'll probably be gone when they take their furniture but um, yeah some weird colors and stuff uh, the hardwood floors look nice uh, the property looks you know has a very nice pool you see I can see there and um, yeah kind of like a Nice back to it. So it looks like it looks like the pool probably takes up the entire backyard. So there isn't really a backyard, but you you know you exit the house, you get down some steps, and there's a nice pool and jacuzzi there with like the looks like some kind of cabana at the bottom. So it's it's a nice place. Uh, I would have guessed if it really is 4,200 square feet that it should be worth more than two million from the location and um, the pool and and everything else. But who knows? Um, it's sometimes hard to tell from pictures of these properties, and, and believe me, they would would not be underpricing it. I mean, they're putting 2.3 million. Zillow thinks it's worth two, and you know, if he bought this in 2005 for 1.8, uh, it probably is worth around two something now. You know, maybe maybe around two, 2.1. I think they're overpricing it actually. So, anyway, it's, it's probably not as good of a house as it looks from the uh, TMZ picture just from everything I know about Southern California real estate. Uh, let me tell you a little more about the marriage between D. Long and Perlot Friedman, because I, I have a little bit to add to this. Now, first of all, D. Long is 10 years older than Perlot. Perlot is 35. I think he'll be 36 soon. D. is 45. So... She looked younger than that. Like you know, I, I saw her. What? I mean, I'll tell you the story here. When I saw her, it was like in 04, 05, So we're talking like eight or nine years ago. But uh, she looked younger than. You know what is she? Four years older than me. I would have guessed that she was younger than me, but not by that much. But you know, a lot of time Asian girls, uh, they age pretty well, so that doesn't surprise me. But whatever, she's still ten years older than him. But um, the most interesting thing about them, as far as uh, my interaction with the two of them, was uh, around 2004, 2005, before anyone really knew Prahlad, except for like high-limit players at Commerce, but he wasn't well-known throughout poker. Uh, I was playing like 8160 at Commerce, and D. Luong was sitting next to me. I didn't know who she was, I just thought it was some, some Asian girl, you know. You see a lot of them at Commerce. 
So I didn't really pay much attention to her until a chip runner came running up to her and said hello. And it was clear that he knew her pretty well and she seemed happy to see him. And she's like, oh, what's up? It's been so long. And like, they, they seemed to be legitimate friends, at least at some point, but they hadn't seen each other in a while. So they BS each with, you know, they BS with each other back and forth. And finally he asked her if she's seeing anyone. I don't know if he had interest in her and uh, was hoping the answer would be no or if he was just curious. But he said, hey, you seeing anyone? And she, she said, well, yes, and pointed to Perlod. Perlod was also in the room, but he was playing No Limit at the time a few tables down. I didn't even know who he was. But uh, she pointed to him and I saw who he, she was pointing to. The chip runner was flabbergasted. He said, what? Him? Him? you got to be kidding me. You're, you're dating him? Seriously? Like, he couldn't believe it. He he was acting as if she was really taking a step down to date Prahlad. And he talked all kinds of crap about him. I don't remember what he said anymore, but I, I, I felt bad for Prahlad not knowing him. Like, oh, that poor guy, he's sitting at another table and this chip runner's just, just tearing him a new one to his girlfriend. I wasn't going to get involved, but I thought, like, wow. Um, I, I felt bad for him. I felt even worse for him because instead of saying, "Hey, hey, 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 hey," you know, that's my boyfriend. You know, don't don't say things like that, right? You know, hey, I don't want to hear it, or whatever. She was giggling as this guy was ragging on Perlot, and not even like in a in a joking, good-natured manner. He was really ripping on Perlot in a mean, angry way, just putting the guy down. And she's giggling about it. Well, finally, after a lot of trash talk from the chip runner, she she said, well, you know, he's a nice guy, though. You know, you have to really get to know him. Yeah, that sort of thing. But it was a very weak defense. It took a long time for, for her to even say that. And it seemed like she was more defending her own choice rather than Perlot himself. And I could just tell from the whole exchange she did not have much respect for him. I, I thought, wow, this is a couple that's about to break up within weeks. Because it really seemed like she did not care for him very much, just the way she let this chip runner go off. So then I learned a few years later, after I realized that the guy I saw was Prahlad Friedman, the uh, the poker is fun for everyone guy on uh, on ESPN, I heard years later that they were married. I couldn't believe it. I was sure that relationship, there's no way it could last. So this doesn't surprise me. This does not surprise me after the way she talked about Prahlad, or, or let that other guy talk about Prahlad, and, and how she giggled at it that she maybe didn't like him all that much in the first place and may have just been hanging out for the money. Uh, as far as I know, Dee Luong was never a really successful high-limit cash player either. So we can see she's made like almost nothing in tournaments. In cash, I, I never saw that much of her, and I, I never, I've never known of her to uh, really make a lot of money at those games. And Prahlad, of course, we know is successful. So I would not be surprised if this was a money thing and she never cared for him too much and then... Uh, I don't know if the money has run out or if she just uh, decided she's done. And the truth is, even if Prahlad does still have money, he made most of that money during the time they were married. They've been married for seven years. That goes back to 06. So unless they had a prenuptial agreement, which I bet they did not, she did not seem like the type of girl who wanted to sign a prenuptial agreement. In fact, she seemed more like the type of girl who would be a gold digger and would definitely not want to sign one. Um, I have to imagine that you know, if he does still have money, that uh, she'll be getting half of whatever he made, at least during the time they were married. 
And don't look at that house and assume that they necessarily have money. You don't know how much money, you don't know how much equity they had in that house. They could have uh, taken a lot of loans against it. They could have almost no equity at this point. You could never judge someone by the house they live in, even if they own it, because uh, you don't know how much of it they really own. At the time, Prahlad signed with UB. Because you have to wonder, why did he sign with UB? I mean, Prahlad was not just pretending to care about all these progressive causes all these years. He really did think he believed all that stuff. So how could someone like that, who had been rejecting sponsorships from legitimate sites, like Poker Stars, how could someone like that eventually join UB? I theorized at the time, when he joined UB, that he was hurting for money. I had noticed where he'd been, you know, he'd been playing on Poker Stars pretty actively at that time. This was before Black Friday. I saw he was on like an $800,000 downswing on Poker Stars, coming into when he was signing with UB. And I thought that has to do with it. That, that, that has to be a factor here. And I imagine that maybe Prahlad went busto. Maybe Prahlad had no more cash after losing the 800k on Poker Stars. Needed some money and decided to pretty much sell his soul to the poker devil. So my theory at the time was he signed with UP because he needed the money. Not just, not just because he wanted the money. I think because he needed the money. And if that's the case... Now I don't think he got very much from UB because they went under not too long after that. He maybe even had money stuck on the site that he never got to see. So it's possible that Prahlad is broke or close to it. Maybe she's like, okay, well, I never liked this guy too much in the first place and now he has no more money. What good is he? Not like we have kids together. So screw it. I'm out of here. Now I'm just guessing at this point. But it wouldn't surprise me. So, Someone saying in the chat Maybe it was his choice to end it Maybe it was I don't think so Because she's the one who filed for divorce Now it's true they've been separated since April But usually the one to actually file Is the one who is more done With a relationship And that is because once you file for divorce It really puts a finality onto it Even though the divorce does not take place immediately and you're stuck to have like this long waiting period, especially in California, before the divorce becomes final, to where you can take it back. But once you actually file for divorce, that's really saying to your former partner, I'm done with you. Here's a legal document saying, I don't want to be married to you anymore. That's even more of a severe step than just moving out. So usually when a couple separates And then one goes and actually files for divorce The one that files is the one who's more sure That they're totally done with it Also they've been separated for four months And that's a long time between separation And filing for divorce And while it could just be procedural It could just be that nobody felt like doing it You have to think that maybe someone like Perlod Was hoping it could be worked out and then she's the one who gave up and said, screw it, this can't be worked out, I'm done. Hockey guy saying filing first means nothing. I don't agree. In most cases, the person who files first is the one who wants to divorce more. Not always, but usually.
All right. Uh, I had to play this too. I had to play two things related to this, sort of related to this. Um, first, I want to play Perlot Friedman. I've played this before, but I want to play Perlot Friedman's Progressive Collective. This this really dumb thing he did with two of his friends, which I think may have been filmed at his house. Now that I see pictures of the house, this really dumb like like wannabe. Thai meditation video that he did with two friends uh, and it's pretty ridiculous just go on YouTube and type in Progressive Collective Perlide Friedman and you'll find it and I guarantee you'll laugh when you play the thing the, the audio doesn't do it justice but I'm going to play it anyway so what d Pumachak Bangkok this is uh, by the way Perlide rapping in Thai I have no idea what a uh, a white bread Jewish guy. I think he started off as Jewish. Uh, has to do with Thailand, but he thinks he has something to do with Thailand. Yindi ti dai ru chak kap. One pen don't sip song nam ganong tem taling rao tang lai chaying sanuk gan ching one loy gratong. This guy takes on every ethnicity and every na- nationality except for his own. You notice that? First he's black, then he's Thai. Oh, yo, what up, homies? I wonder what Loy Gratong means. I wonder if it means uh, I stole your money and bought this sweet house in Malibu. So now they're showing him and his... Uh, Two buddies there nodding their heads in front of a bunch of hills, which I, I think maybe the hills of Malibu where he lives. They show him in front of like a, a, a man made waterfall meditating. Yeah. This is his uh, East Coast friend here. I don't think this guy plays poker. I make it look so so easy. In Miami, some doubt catching breezy, laid back easy with J Ray. Pack the gold hebo with the big baby buzzer beater, mixed with the Spanish chiba. Sipping mojitos at Nikki Beach with the Spanish chica, the bachelor money. I did it for my mommy. I did it for New York, Boston, and Poppy. Battle KC. Did it for the J Ray. Said it's gonna take the man in me. So I did it for Phil Pot and broke through the canopy. I chose now and eternity. We like strong candles, forever burning thee. There's no doubt about it. We've been given any gifts and we glad about it. Yeah, we really proud about it. So now you get the hat guy in the video. There's this really weird guy, kind of like looks like the uh, child molester you would find hanging out in the. Uh, a bathroom. Maybe at a truck stop. <laughs> so we call him the hat guy. Kind of a creepy looking dude. And uh, he's the third one to rap on this video. Mind resurrected, souls connect, light reflected, souls connected. We have resurrected, progressive, selective, following the directive. Highly introspective, I expand my perspective. Abandoning the best laid plans, my viewers' objective. Examining the choices that I make 
lot is examining the choices he's making in retrospective. I know it's not him saying this, but uh, he's like nodding his head and pointing out to the hills of this guy's rapping that. How about the choices you made, Prahlad? In the vast man of eternity, for whom do I ask? Is this cost effective? Approaching with. Did you ever think the words cost effective would be uh, incorporated into a rap? This guy managed it. Caution, not knowing, waiting for the universe to speak. You can catch me at Bass Lake, breaking free. Complete to celebrate with my brothers, sitting by the fire, surrendering to a higher integrity. I'm living Buddha, I'm living Christ, light resurrected, light reflected. Aggressive collective, realize the objective. Minds resurrected, souls connected. We have resurrected the progressive collective. Given introspective ideas, remove your fears. We all cry tears, but let's not cause them. Not being the solution is being the problem. Exactly, Prahlad. Not being the solution is being the problem. That's exactly what you did. You, you got it right for once. We all cry tears, but let's not cause them Not being the solution is being the problem Progressive collective, we the detectives Positive reflection, we chill and write conscious flows While watching the lake show It's work and play, the combination sets us free Discipline, passion, drive, we set our minds Life is a wonder, better make goals Before your life erodes, time ticks on We might be pawns, but we can still move on Someday could come queen and we can still move on like your wife did. We are one team. We are one team. We are one team. We are one team till we get a divorce. Then we are two teams. Aggressive collective. Realize the objective. Minds resurrected. Souls connected. Seriously, watch the video. The audio doesn't do it justice. Does not do it justice. Uh, and, and this whole segment would not be complete without playing the brilliant Seriously Serious video about Perlod signing with UB called Black and Yellow. What's up, everybody? Money, it's the new you be. You talk 
Vanessa Selves, Whitey, Cloutier, Nation, Cloney's in an alley, looks like Ivy on a nice bin. Doyle's having strokes, there's a joke, flag is broken, does more coke than Mikey Madison. Hey, I think he likes it. The Grotty was my boy, and I joined him with Sirius. He's delirious, furious, but her confused and back curious. Now he wants to play heads up tonight. He thinks he's alright, and I just might call him on that one. Three, two, one, psych. Enough about Perlotta one show. I hope uh, D. Long takes him to the cleaners. He deserves it. Update you guys uh, on what happens with that as uh, the months pass on, but I think it'll be a while. Maybe some info will leak, though, as to the reasons for the divorce. Anyway, back to the agenda. Have you ever wanted to improve your poker game? Have you ever wanted to miraculously become better? Have you ever wanted to just somehow get good without having to read books or play hands or watch videos? Just get better in poker and start winning. I think that would be great. Unfortunately, it's not realistic, but maybe it is. If you go to PokerPills.net And know they're not a sponsor of this show You might be able to accomplish this Right on the front page of PokerPills.net It says Are you sick of not making money at poker And it shows a guy crying over a table Except it's a blackjack table But let's not nitpick Another poker session full of disappointment It shows a guy yelling at his laptop Which uh, was a stolen picture from Google, that that pink background of the guy yelling at his laptop, become one of the best poker players in the world. And it shows a generic picture of a guy sitting in front of a bunch of chips at the World Series. Be one step ahead of the rest. Augment your poker skills to the max. And it shows a guy with pocket aces. So what are we talking about? We're talking about poker pills. Welcome to the site, which will make you a better poker player. Have you ever felt tired during the final stage of the tournament or simply lost concentration during the most important hand of your poker session? Yes! Yes, I have. I just finished fifth at a final table. I know how that feels. How often have you felt that there is a tiny piece of the puzzle missing that prevents you from being a really great poker player? Hey, you're preaching to the choir here. What if right now you have come across the means to achieve huge advantage compared to the other players at the tables? Sounds good to me. What is poker pills? I think it should be what are poker pills, but let's not nitpick with grammar here. I think it's a German site. Poker pills is a super powerful herbal supplement which enhances your poker skills. It consists of specially selected herbs. This is different than the herbs and spices in Kentucky Fried Chicken, by the way. These are just herbs. Gathered in the most pristine areas in Europe, (laughs) processed through a unique formula, you know, like the 11 herbs and spices, Improve with the guarantee the functioning state of the central nervous system, huh? Support memory, mental concentration, and endurance. It's not just an herbal supplement for the brain, but a super powerful herbal supplement formulated and tested especially for the poker player with stunning results. 
not just good results, stunning results. By I, I see a, a picture of these pills. It's uh, manufactured by Caesar Pharma, not Caesars, but just Caesar Pharma. You know, so you think it's from Caesars. It's got a picture of the four suits of of cards, and then it says poker pills, but without a space between poker and pills, just poker pills. Poker state of mind, it says, for special offer for special players. Poker pills is an absolute world phenomenon which makes a real revolution in poker playing. No matter no matter whether you play Texas Hold'em, Omaha, seven-card stud, or five-card draw, whatever your poker game is, it will never be as easy as with poker pills. So poker pills are so revolutionary that they will help you improve your game, even in forms of poker not invented yet. Just uh, somehow, if it's poker, those those herbs and spices, they miraculously make your brain uh, to where you become a better poker player. Every self-respecting poker player strives to improve their game constantly in order to reach bigger profit and higher peaks. Right now, you are presented with a solution to your shortcomings at poker. You know, not uh, observing how you've played your hands, not uh, introspection, not talking to players better than you, not watching videos, not buying books, no. The solution to your shortcomings in poker is to buy these pills. No matter whether your game style is tight, aggressive, or loose, aggressive, what if it's tight, passive, or loose, passive? Can I still win? You know that your mastery of poker means right assessment of all chances. In a split second, the good player assesses various factors of the specific hand, position opponents, the right bet, putting your opponent on a range of hands, mathematical calculation of your odds, and mental developing of different scenarios of your hand till its end. Thanks to Poker Pills, you too could become a better player. No one would disagree that the more accurately you assess the situation according to the circumstances at hand, the better you will play your hand, so, and so the next one, and so the tournament you want so badly to win. That's pretty simple stuff. If you play your hands well, you'll be a better poker player. I never realized that. Thank you. Now here are the benefits of Poker Pills. This is directly from their website, PokerPills.net. Poker Pills Benefits. You become a better poker player, and thus you make more money. All right, sounds good. You make less mistakes and are able to detect the mistakes of others. You stimulate your brain, memory, concentration, and endurance. You stimulate your eyesight and wipe out tiredness of the eyes. <laughs> tiredness of the eyes. What is that? And how do you stimulate your eyesight? Are they saying it improves your vision? Because I'll tell you, I have to wear glasses. So if I take poker pills, will I be able to throw away my glasses without getting dangerous laser eye surgery? Wow. And my eyes won't be tired either. Maybe I won't need to sleep. You enhance your intuition. Develop emotional endurance and eliminate the tilt syndrome. Acquire the ability to read your opponents. I guess you become psychic. Improve your assessment of a bluff. When you are bluffed, at which point you must bluff yourself. Improve your self-assessment and ability to analyze your hand. Improve the management of your poker bankroll. Oh, wow. You, you don't just get better at poker. Somehow you get better at uh, not blowing money. Impressive. Enhance your passion for playing poker and making profit. I guess that's just a result of all the winning you'll be doing. More than 1,000 poker players who use poker pills were perked at, picked at random to evaluate the effect of the product had on them, and the results were impressive. 1,000 poker players? I don't know of any who use this. Must be I must know the wrong thousand people. Then they have a little graph here of uh, showing 80%, 90%, 85%, and 75%. So th- this is what they mean by the percentages. 
90% of the participants reported exceptional improvement of their poker play and a considerable increase of profit. 90%. The other 10% continued losing, but yeah, you're not one of them. 85% of the participants reported considerable improvement of memory, mental concentration, and endurance. Wow. 80% of the participants reported suppression or elimination of the tilt syndrome. So 20% were still tilt monkeys, but 80% stopped tilting. 75% of the participants reported improvement of poker skills as well as improvement in the management of their poker bankroll. So that's not as sure as becoming a better poker player was 90%, but the 75% chance you're going to stop being a degenerate and stop blowing your money that you win with these poker pills. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong with this stuff. Every time, oh, it says, don't forget, every time you take poker pills, you increase your chances at poker. So, you can actually chat with them live, which I wanted to do during the show, but they're not available now. I have a feeling they've just abandoned the whole chat thing. I, I kind of wonder, like, who will be answering. Is it, like, the guy who sells these, or do they hire some, like, third-world uh, support center to just answer generic questions? Let's see the special offer for special players. Okay. That's right. Act now. 12 bottles, a one-year supply for $399.95. You save $319 with a 100% money-back guarantee. You can't go wrong. Now, if you don't trust 12 bottles, if you don't want to get 12 bottles and pay $0.28 for a pill, you can go with a six-month supply instead of a year supply. That's only $234. You still save $125 over the smaller supplies, but, you know, if you don't want to commit to a whole year, it's only $234.95. If you want a five-month supply, it's $214.95. If a four-month supply, it's a $189.95. Going all the way down to a one-month supply, one bottle for $60. And um, they let you know on... The, uh, the the poker pill site that you're not going to see results for a while. That uh, let me let me get the exact text here because it's important. You you can't just expect to take them and win tomorrow. Very important to understand that if you're going to run out and buy these poker pills, you're not going to win tomorrow. Here, here's what they put on their site. They put here's a uh, what is the recommended dose. The recommended daily dosage is one pill three times a day after meals and one to two times before each poker session. I, I don't know if they're trying to say take it three times a day or also take it after meals and uh, before each poker session. What if I miss a dose? If you miss taking a dose, take your pill as soon as you remember. The beneficial effect of poker pills appears after the third week of intake. To achieve permanent results, it is necessary to take the formula for a longer period, at least five or six months. So you won't know for five or six months if this really works, and, and definitely not for three weeks. So don't expect instant results. So let's see what ways you can pay here. Uh, let's, let's order. I'm gonna I'm gonna order a year. Okay, throw caution to the wind here. Um, let's see here. So I can pay through PayPal or credit card. You'll be glad to know it's a secured shopping page. Your data is secured with 256-bit encryption and safe from external access. You know, not safe from con artists who are selling you sugar pills, but safe from external access. 
This is a German-based company. Now, they do have a phone number, and I, I think we have to call them, even though it's in Germany. I don't know if... There's like a toll-free number in Germany, so I don't know if I can call it. But I'm going to try. The number is uh, 0866, which seems like a toll-free number. 607-5373. Let's see what we get. may even cost me money, but you know what? This is a, a service for the public here, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to let the fact that this might cost me money. I was trying to call an American number. Let's try that again. Let's see. Germany? I think it's Germany. I, w- I wish they put like a plus whatever. Like, like why do I have like plus 49? Like, why do I have to figure this out on my own? Yeah, I have like one minute worth of credit here. Yeah, see, it's not working. All right, never mind. I guess you can't call this number from within the U.S. So you, you just have to trust them. You just you just have to order it and, and believe that they're going to ship it to you. Now, if you don't believe just their claims here, they have testimonials here, complete with stock photos. A, a guy named Chris, a guy named Alan, a guy named Peter. Very stock photos that I, I don't know where they stole them from, and they all look very similar to one another. And here's a video testimonial. Hey, what's going on? My name is Mike, and I'm from New York, and today I wanted to take a couple minutes out of my day to talk about poker pills. First and foremost, I have to say thank you for such an amazing product to the producers, to the distributors, poker... First of all, this guy looks like a... He looks like a drug addict, this Mike. He, he looks like he's uh, doing this video for his next fix. Poker pills has changed my poker game, and it's changed my life for the better. Then who are you? Why don't we know you? Why have you not uh, won more money? By the way, on the the funniest thing is on the side it says uh, tips from the pros, and it has tips from well-known pros like Sam Trickett and Johnny Chan, and it makes it seem like these people are associated with the site, but these are just like random tips that they've fished from I don't know where from these pros, and are just including them on their site, and these pros don't even know that uh, you know, their faces are being used on this poker pills thing. Let me just give you my story in a nutshell. Basically, about two years ago, I got into poker. And Mostly drugs. No Limit, Texas Hold'em. No Limit, Texas Hold'em. Whenever someone calls it Texas Hold'em, you know that they're not a good player. You, you know that they they either have never played or have barely played. Is No good player would, or experienced player, even a bad player is experienced, would not say Texas Hold'em. I was working, so I didn't really have a lot of time to play. It was mostly on Sundays, casually, and I was doing pretty well. I was making money, but it didn't really consume my life. Then over time, I got really into poker, and I started playing online. Over time, I got really into drugs, so I was able to stay up and play online. And again, I was doing pretty well, but the more I played... I started hitting bad breaks. And so I guess I guess it stops you from hitting bad beats because what it sounds like the guy is saying is that he uh, he was doing fine until he took bad beats. Somehow taking these pills will stop the bad beats from falling. And I was losing sleep. I wasn't really playing as well as I initially was because I was playing so often and my mood started to affect oh, my I understand. game. He was playing too much. The fact that I was always it. tired was affecting my game. And things started to go downhill. <laughs> so I lost my job. 
And I lost my girlfriend. Uh-oh. And I just kept playing poker. Oh, I got so deep into poker. I was online poker. That was me 24-7. Just play, play, play. Eat a little bit. Drink a little bit. Play a lot. Well, at least you don't get fat if you only eat a little bit. Also, there's a screen behind him, which is supposed to depict online poker, but it's clearly not any real online poker site, and it's just is sitting stationary with, like, five cards sitting on the table and nothing moving. All the time. And I wasn't doing so hot. I was losing a lot of money, and it, it, it sucked. It was a tough time in my life. I was pretty miserable, and my emotions were just getting to me. Like, I did have... I did have good fundamentals to work with, but my emotions were clouding them, and I was just making drastic decisions and losing my cash. Sounds very sad, but I have a feeling we're going to have a happy ending here. I just have that feeling. Then I did a little research. I said, you know, how do I make my poker game better? I read up on things. I read up on strategies, odds. Did I really apply them? Probably not, because I... <laughs> I read up on strategies, I read up on odds, did I apply them? Uh, probably not. I was waiting for a pill to help me do that. I kept losing. About six months ago, though, came across a miracle product. It sounds like he's got to let his dog in or something, or let his dog out. I think he's like... I think his dog needs to piss really, really badly, and he's trapping the poor dog in the closet while he's making this video. Called Poker Pills. Now... I was skeptical at first, but I was desperate. I said, maybe something could help me. Maybe something could help me turn my game around and start making money playing poker, which is what I obviously really wanted to accomplish. So I took the pills for the first month. I didn't notice a big change in my game. I was playing a little more conservatively, but that's... Ah, here you go. See, you know, nothing is changing yet after a month. That shows you to be like Mike. You have to take him for longer. Just because I was losing money... Then about a month in, something clicked with me, and I had focus like no other. I didn't really bring my emotions to the table, and I said, look, I'm here to make money, and that's what I'm going to do, and poker pills, man, it took my game to a whole nother level. I was that doesn't sound like the poker pill did anything. It sounds like just like he was losing and losing, and then realized, hey, I'm an idiot. I have to stop tilting, and I have to pay attention to strategy play more conservatively, and I'll do better. Sounds like he just kind of came to a conclusion on his own that he sucked, and he was a tilt monkey, and worked to improve these things. Where did the pills even come in? Just able to focus, and I started coming up with ideas that, that should have been just obvious to me as a skilled poker player. And uh, I see. now gave my, idea, game, gave my ideas. bankroll... Uh, Everything's skyrocketing. Thanks to poker pills, I have confidence as a poker player. I am making a pretty good amount of money, and I'm having a great time doing it. So, again, poker pills, thank you. You guys are great. Your team, your staff, whoever produced this product is... I, I'm in debt of gratitude to you because you really helped me out here. And I recommend poker pills to anybody that's struggling with their game... Notice this guy won't say who he is, or we could look up his results that have improved. That needs that focus, that needs to drive, and that needs that extra push when they come to the table to sit down and say, okay, I'm ready to make some money. Check them out. Poker Pills. Incredible product. Incredible product. Now where's my drugs?
Where's my hundred bucks? Where's my crack cocaine? You say you give me the crack if I do this video. I promote your crappy poker pills. Now give me your fucking crack. <laughs> Does anyone really buy this stuff? I would love to know who really has bought this stuff. Is it just like a fail site they set up here trying to hook in suckers? Or do they really have a steady customer base? Is there really... Are there really people buying this for six months, thinking they need to buy it for six months to see any results? Believing these BS testimonials. If you want to laugh, click on the testimonials part of the page. Watch that video and uh, read the testimonials from the stock photos. Someone says, uh, Druff, he probably sells it under a bunch of names. Now there's another person saying in chat, a thousand poker players can't be wrong, buddy. Who might have questioned a thousand people who've been helped by this? All right. That's a fine product. I'm sure uh, you'll all jump on it after the show's over. On Poker Fraud Alert, we have an open forum where people can come and tell their stories about people who scam them. I welcome anyone who has been scammed by anyone or any company to come forward and talk about what happened to you. Name names. And, you know, if the person who did it is innocent, they're welcome to come out and defend themselves. And if the person defends themselves to my liking and I believe that they've been falsely accused, I may even remove the thread or close the thread or something or declare that I think the person is innocent. But uh, I want to give everyone a chance to bring out their accusations against anyone who has harmed them, especially through poker. So we had one person come to the site and do this, and another one did it on 2 Plus 2, and I brought the story over. Uh, the first one, posted here as Wu Taek, probably a, uh, an Asian guy. Subject, beware of scam couple. And keep in mind the English is a little bit broken here because uh, this is an Asian guy, but the message is still important. Awareness for everyone, especially poker players around the world. This couple is traveling around the globe for their scam job, last seen in South Korea, may be targeting Hong Kong, China, or U.S. for his next assignment. There's a picture of, of him and his girlfriend. The name is Tan Lee Kun Mil- Mervin. Mervin doesn't really sound like a South Korean name, but okay. Tan Lee Kun Mervin. Or maybe Mervin's his first name. I, it may be backwards like they do in some of these countries. 38 years old, male, Chinese, uh, born in Singapore. He's uh, about 1.65 meters tall, which is pretty short. I think it's like 5 foot uh, 5. Stout, tanned complexion, and always wearing a cap. Max, as he introduced himself, claimed that he was a regional manager in Citibank and had been working in Citibank in Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, and China. He is currently a full-time professional poker player and claims that his income is fivefold, traveling around to participate in poker tournaments. He's very sociable, getting easily on friendly conversations with people around. The girl he's with, named Lee Aram, 32, female, Korean, born in South Korea. The method of scamming: asking to invest you in his, asking you to invest in his poker business with good profit from rake. Two, borrowing money from you directly as he's in, quote, some difficulties. Three, partnering with him for some, quote, new business opportunity. 
He will appear to be very generous in the beginning, just like all scammers, and slowly hook you in. Once you are hooked in, it's time for him to disappear. And then he actually uh, po- um, posted a, another post that somebody made about uh, this couple on a site called uh, Comer440, uh, K-H-M-E-R-440, um, about yeah, a Cambodian site about these people scamming. And then also uh, ZipGame.com, which is part of, yes, the Revolution Network. Uh, he has some associated association with this skin, so uh, definitely not a good thing to get uh, to be part of zip zipgame.com. So I don't know anything about this, but if you run into this guy, this Max or Tanley Kun Mervin from Singapore, watch out. Do not uh, get into any business opportunities with him, or invest in anything, or loan him money. That's according to this Wu Tech who posted on Poker Fraud Alert, and I have to say it's probably true. Especially with another post on another site about this guy. Then we have something closer to home. This is a post from a guy named Justin Fawbush on 2 Plus 2 about a fellow poker player in Florida named Ray De Pasquale. He says, my name is Justin Fawbush, and I play poker throughout the state of Florida. The following is my story on how I was burned, scammed, deceived, and robbed with my friends by a guy named Ray DePasquale. I first met Ray when I was playing at Jacksonville Best Bet over the early summer of 2013. Ray would frequent the regular 5-10 PLO games on a daily basis. I hung out with him a few times, and he got to know a, few, a lot of the people that played in the Jacksonville room. Ray had mentioned a few times that he was a ticket broker and would make trips throughout the U.S. to make big deals. Ray showed that he had a lot of money and didn't really have a problem mentioning it to people. He would have no problem buying in 5K or more at the PLO game in Jacksonville, which I kind of laugh at. Buying in 5K hardly means you have money. Like I said, I was just there two months this summer, and the guy played all the time, and I got to know him just through playing. I left Jacksonville and went back home after these two months and still kept in contact with some of the players. I knew that Ray had been grinding the PLO game at Hard Rock because another friend of mine had told me they met a guy there that knew me. Here's where it gets fun. Ray had still been playing in Jacksonville and made claims that he had won tournament tickets at Hard Rock Tampa for the uh, Seminole uh, Regional Poker Open Maine. And we'll talk about that event shortly. The catch is that the tickets were only transferable in Tampa. I learned of this because I was trying to sell a little bit of my action for that tournament and uh, was told by some Jacksonville guys that Ray had a deal at a discount. Sounded great to me. I'd sell 15% and get my ticket at 3500 Two of my friends got similar deals. So now the question is, how do you not have the tickets when you give him the money? Ray's cover was, since we have to show up in person to do the transfer, he would need to just get our HR, HR, which is Hard Rock, player numbers, and give it to the floor people there, and the floor guy from Tampa was going to be at Hollywood to deliver them for the start of the main event. I know, I know, I'm a dumbass, he wrote. So so basically, this, uh, this Ray guy allegedly was selling tournament seats for the main event at the Seminole... Uh, poker open selling them at a discount and uh, the only catch was you'd pay him first and then he'd give you your tickets later which he claimed had to be uh, transferred to you over in Tampa or or in Hollywood or whatever, Hollywood where it takes place Hollywood, Florida it gets elaborate. I was headed down to Hard Rock Hollywood early last week to stay at Ray's rented vacation home that was a few miles away from Hard Rock He invited me and my friends down there and just requested that we chip in for food. Nice guy, right? The place was pretty dope and had a pool and all those gadgets. I wonder if it's kind of like a prelage place. Pretty snazzy for a millionaire and overall nice guy. 
I thought it was a great deal to be able to grind cash games and play the main and a few other tournaments while I was there. Hell, the guy played cash games all week at Hard Rock. He was there with his girlfriend, Angela, and she just kind of tagged along to the casino a few times and stayed at the house mostly. If you see her too, she's part of this whole scam. So, so not only does he give them a big discount on these tournament tickets to get into the uh, Seminole Main, but he lets people stay at his house for free. Can you imagine? First you buy at a big discount, and then you get, his ha- you get to stay at his house for free? We had all planned on playing Day 1C, Saturday of the tournament, and Ray was planning on that too. I woke up Friday, and Ray mentioned earlier in the week that a cleaning crew was going to be coming to the house on Friday afternoon. Me and my two friends left Ray and his girlfriend at the house while the cleaning crew was supposed to come, and Ray said he was going to meet us at the Hard Rock later that evening to do the transfer. Now, what do you think happens? Uh, hey, guys, i got to get out of the house the day before we're going to play here. Uh, the cleaning crew's coming. Oh, okay, don't want to interfere with the cleaning crew. So, of course, these guys vacate the house so the cleaning crew can do their work. And what the cleaning crew really was is a moving crew, which uh, emptied out the house while they were gone, and Ray fled. When it came time for Ray to show up and do the transfer, he was still trying to sell it. My, my GPS says I'm 33 minutes away. I have the vouchers. I made a reservation at Council Oak Steakhouse at, uh, at 9. I, I will meet you guys there. When it finally came time for that, his phone was out of service immediately at 9 p.m. Around that time, we met another guy that was supposed to be meeting Ray. Looking as confused as ever, too, where's Ray? At that point, with egg on our face, we leave the hard rock and head back to the house. All of Ray's stuff is gone, and the room him and his girlfriend were staying at are empty. I trusted Ray to Pasquale. I learned afterwards that he had given me the wrong last name. He told me his last name was Ray Dion. I then learned that this is what he does. There is an entire Facebook group of people that have been burned by him. Apparently he scammed people out of 400k in Super Bowl tickets in Indy a few years ago. He is wanted by the FBI and is a very bad person that will kill you with kindness to gain your trust. I really think Ray was after more. He had mentioned earlier in the week that there was a safe in the house and we needed to use it to feel more secure. My friends and I never got around to actually using it, but there could have been a massive hit to everyone. So they think that uh, Ray was hoping that they would put their money in the safe. That's why he invited them to the house. And when they didn't use the safe, uh, then he vacated the day before. He obviously wasn't going to show up to the tournament. I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want. I don't know how to post pictures on here, but I have a mugshot of him from the Facebook group. The thing that confuses me is why would he go through the trouble to do this for 15k to invite us all down? Florida Poker knows about what he's done now, and the guy is screwed for playing any game for 15k when the guy played big the whole time I knew him. Very confusing to me. So he's saying I don't understand. You know, scam for 15k. The guy really kind of screwed himself in his reputation. But I have a feeling if this is a career scammer, he doesn't. He's going to move on to the next venue. He's not going to ever come back to Florida. I went on to play the main and busted that day to add injury, insult to injury. One of the others that was scammed made a run deep last night before Busto. Thought it would have been awesome for him to ship it just so we could tell the story about this screw job. I hope this helps the poker community in advance. I was too trusting to someone I thought was a friend. Call the cops if he shows up to your room. His name is Ray DePasquale, and he's 33 years old, and sometimes seen with a girl named Angela. Ray had really jacked up teeth and is about six foot five. Kind of looks like an uglier Vince Vaughn. <laughs> So that's the story. So uh, beware. Um, now, a, a user on the site, FTP Jesus, found some more information. Um, he was sentenced to 10 to 23 months in Susquehanna County Correctional Facility in 2009, followed by five years probation for theft by deception in Brooklyn Township on May 3rd, 2009. So he gets out of prison and then scams once again. He didn't learn his lesson for sure. 
So um, I'm sure this is all true. Raymond A. DePasquale, 30, of Pensacola, New Jersey, was sentenced to 10 to 23 months back in 2009 for scamming, too. Um, if you go to that thread in the uh, Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum, you will see the Facebook page about Ray DePasquale. It looks like it would be his page, but it's actually uh, um, a page about him. It's a picture of him. It's his mugshot, actually. Um, yeah, he does look about six foot five. It's it's showing he's uh, like yeah, seventy six, seventy seven inches. So uh, this is a Facebook page about him, and uh, take a look at the picture and don't ever give a penny to this guy. That is, uh, I believe the story. Don't have any proof it's true, but I believe the story. So watch out for people like that. And in general, whenever anyone seems too generous especially a stranger, they probably are looking to scam you. And um, in general, if a stranger is too generous, if a stranger is too nice to you, that's really the big red flag. I'll tell you the stranger I remember that was too nice to me. Peter Falcone. Remember what happened to him or with him. He was really nice to me. I mean, he talked to me on the phone once. And then the next time I talk to him, he's offering to give me free tickets to the opening night of the Garth Brooks show at the Wynn, which is a very hard ticket to get. I actually couldn't make it or I would have taken him up on it, but I was asking, why is this guy doing it for me? He's giving me two front row center seats to see Garth Brooks' opening night at the Wynn. It had to be worth a lot of money. To a guy he talked to once on the phone. Now, I talked myself into believing at the time that he just... uh was a huge fan of poker and was happy I took the time to talk to him. But I thought, you know what? I'm not a huge name in poker. Why, why do that favor for me? I'm like, you know, what, like a C-list player at best as far as poker fame. It, it just seemed strange. And it turned out what he was doing was either uh, hoping he could scam me or I, I guess he determined I was a hard person to scam, so he was just dropping my name everywhere that I was his friend. Fortunately, nobody on this site got scammed by him, and uh, the people he had scammed were on 2 plus 2 that he was already scamming before meeting me, but he was setting up the scam on on my previous site uh, prior to the truth coming out about him, and then fortunately, uh, nobody was victimized by him on our site. PLOL just said in the chat, Wow, Druff, I just bought you front row seats for an event at the Wynn, but I guess I'll give them to somebody who will appreciate them and not be suspicious. Yeah, me and my big mouth. So, yeah, I would watch out for this Ray Pasquale. Definitely look at his picture. All right, moving on here. I think it's always good to publicize these stories because uh, all it takes is one person to hear the story and then not get scammed, and it uh, it makes it worth telling. Scammers love secrets. Scammers hate being exposed for what they are. Scammers hate information out on the internet about them. They hate it because it makes it a lot harder for them to work. Speaking of scamming, Mark Mike Matisau. He can't prove any kind of scamming here, but uh, he was very unhappy about the Seminole Poker Open, which just took place. He felt that they had a really bad policy as far as rebuying. And uh, I will play that here. They did an interview with him. I'll play that interview starting from the minute mark. 
Um, before the minute mark, it's just him talking about his play, just kind of boring stuff. But uh, around here is where it gets interesting. And um, then, uh, you know, just down here for tournament and whatever happens, happens. I liked it until I heard something today that was what I think is an atrocity, is that you can actually play, and I could have 80,000 chips at the end of the day, but you could buy in tomorrow, and whatever your highest chip stack is, you get to keep. That's terrible. I mean, literally, let's say I have a, I mean, 80,000 chips. I could take 30,000, right? And then put it on my stack tomorrow and try and build a bigger stack with a big stack. People, because they're using the same chips every day. I mean, let's say you have forty thousand in chips left, right? You could just take thirty-five thousand out of that, leave yourself five thousand in that, stick it on your stack tomorrow. You're not going to. How are they going to know? It's, it creates tremendous a chance of collusion. I mean, guy brought it up today. I had no idea about this. Anybody. When they started telling me this, I was like, Are you crazy? But literally speaking, I mean. We know certain people that are very capable of doing that. And... Yeah, like Russ Hamilton, maybe. <laughs> so uh, he was actually one of the biggest victims of Russ Hamilton. Mike Manisau, uh when he talked about UB, said Russ used to call him and say, Hey, Mike, how do you like to play again? And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, Russ, I'm Busto on the side. He's like, hey, hey, don't worry, Mike. Um, I'll, I'll transfer you 15K right now, and you can pay me back later. And then, of course, Russ would cheat him, and then Mike would think he legitimately lost and would pay him. So, pretty ugly. But anyway, what Mike Madison was talking about here is that the Seminole Poker Open, which was that $10 million guaranteed event, which a lot of people thought was going to come out with a big overlay. They're going, how can an event have a $10 million guarantee that isn't the World Series? How's that ever going to get $10 million worth of entries uh, down in Florida? But it did. It did. It hit the guarantee easily, and I had a feeling it would. But anyway, they had a policy at this Seminole Poker Open to where you could rebuy if you busted day 1A, then you could you know, rebuy in day 1B, bust day 1B, you could rebuy day 1C. And um, we, we actually, by the way, had a, a player here, PLOL, who played that. And uh, people bought pieces of him for that event. Didn't cash, unfortunately, but uh, um, but anyway... This is getting more and more common these days. These these casinos are trying to find ways to make more money, and they found that a lot of people, after they bust in these uh, day ones that are split up into three or more days, they say, "Hey, I wish I could play again the next day and you know, restart." You know, almost as if I hadn't played day one, day one A. I wish I could play day one B. And the the casinos realize, "Hey, why can't they do that?" It's not cheating. It's not uh, you know, if if someone's out, then just treat them as a separate player, almost like they made a carbon copy themselves, and, and the carbon copy wants to play day 1B. So I agree, there's nothing unethical about allowing that. Um, some people complain that allowing rebuys is bad because it favors the good players too much, it favors the pros too much. It allows... Uh, because the, the thing about tournaments is that you have to survive with whatever chips you have, and once the chips are gone, you can't rebuy. So even a great player who gets short-stacked is in trouble because uh, you can't do that much damage with a short stack. You lose one hand with a short stack, you're gone. It's not like a cash game where you say, hey, I'm better than everybody here, I'm going to rebuy a full buy-in and crush everybody now. When, when the card's even out, you can't do that in tournaments. You lose your chips, you're gone. That's why the people who win the tournaments are usually not the best players in the tournament. They're often good players, but not usually the best people bust at some point due to luck and due to variance. Uh, so allowing people to rebuy 
makes it to where it is uh, easier for the pros to end up succeeding, and it also favors the people who have deep bankrolls who can afford to buy into the same tournament a bunch of times. They eliminated these rebuy events at the World Series because there were fears that people were trying to buy bracelets. Uh, Specifically, Daniel Negreanu bought 48 times into the same event one year. A 1K no limit with rebuys. He bought in 48 times. Didn't even cash, believe it or not, but he bought in 48 times. Uh, Strangely enough, I finished 10th at that event, only buying it once. But, you know, I'm a cheap Jew. So, uh, anyway, they eliminated that at the World Series, but uh, many other poker venues are allowing these rebuys, especially the Day 1B, 1C rebuys if you've busted Day 1A. The thing Mike is really complaining about here is this new policy they have that let's say you finish Day 1A with a short stack. Rather than forcing someone to have to bust their chips completely, like let's say you get... This is what they were trying to go for here. Let's say in the second to last hand of the night, um, you have an average stack, then you get it all in in a cooler spot, and um, you have the other guy slightly covered, and uh, and you're left with 2,000 chips, which is a tiny stack at this point. Then you play the final hand of the day, go all in blind, win the hand, you have 4,000 chips. Then the day's over, you can't keep playing. So even if you were trying to lose your last 2,000 on the final hand, you didn't. So, if the policy is that you have to bust in order to rebuy, then um, they only have two choices there. You can either say, just throw away my chips and and consider it like I busted, or um, they can just tell the person, tough luck, you can't rebuy because you haven't busted. So what they came up with here, what they thought was an intermediate solution, was that you can rebuy into day 1B, whether you busted or not, and then um, what will happen is whatever day you finish with more chips will be the stack you move on with. So if you finish day 1A with 30,000 chips, you finish day 1B with 50,000 chips, then they throw out your 30,000 30, chips, and you move on to day 2 with 50,000. But if you, you busted day 1B, or if you finish with 10,000, then you just it acts like you didn't ever play day 1B, and you move on with the 30,000 you had from day 1A. So what Madison was complaining about here is that people can play games with this and cheat, and uh, if they finish with a mediocre chip stack, they could take chips off of that stack and immediately add it to the next day's stack and rebuy. So let's say you start with 30,000 in chips. Uh, If you finish with 40,000, he's saying, hey, you could take 30,000 off your stack, hope nobody notices, smuggle them into your stack on day 1B, and have a good shot at finishing with a much bigger stack. And to some people, this might be worth it, especially to accumulate a big stack on day one. So he was afraid that people could collude with themselves between day 1A and day 1B. And he thinks it's really bad that they use the same chips. He thinks if they do this, they should use different chips. Now, the problem with using different chips is that you back up your chips and you come back on day two, and you can't have two different types of chips in the field on day two. They all have to be the same. And it would be a massive pain in the ass to make people change over their chips. So that, that's not really a practical solution to this. But um, I understand his point. Now, chip smuggling can always occur between friends. You know, you could, uh, if you finish day 1A with uh, 40,000 chips, you could always take some off your stack, put them in your pocket with nobody noticing, and smuggle them to your friend who's playing day 1B, and then agree to split, uh, you know, whatever each of you win in the tournament. That could be done, but it's always harder to do when there's another person involved. 
it's always easiest to trust yourself. And I have to agree that this is a big hole in what they've come up with here. I think this is a realistic thing that could actually happen, and it does not require a cheating partner. It's sometimes hard to get a cheating partner. I'll tell you, with all my years in poker, it might be hard for me to find someone if I wanted to cheat, which I don't cheat. I never cheat in poker tournaments. But if, if I wanted to cheat, and I was okay with cheating, and I needed a cheating, par- a cheating partner, for example, like, uh, you know, I would take chips off my stack and give it to someone else on day 1B. I would have a hard time finding a cheating partner that would be willing to do it, that would not report it to the public that I approached them with it. It's not just a matter of asking someone and them saying no and just moving to the next person. You, you ask someone, they say no, they could end up telling the world about you. So I'd have to find someone I would know is not going to tell everyone if I asked them to be my cheating partner. And, of course, when you have a cheating partner, you don't know if the cheating partner is going to cheat you. So what if the cheating partner ends up winning a lot of money and doesn't give me my piece? What am I supposed to say? Hey, we had a cheating agreement? So the person who's the easiest trust to trust, of course, is yourself. You're not going to cheat yourself. You can't cheat yourself. So that's where I think Mike Manisau has a point, is that if uh, it really is beneficial to grab chips off your stack today and move them into your stack tomorrow, it might be worth it. And you might be able to get away with it if people aren't really watching that closely. So I agree. I think it's a bad idea. But a lot of times these uh, these, these tournaments don't care. Now, now some people are saying that um, this is dumb, what I'm saying, because you could smuggle chips out of a $100 tournament. They use the same chips for all tournaments. That's really bad. And that's even worse. And, and, and I guess PLOL in the chat's right. That if you're going to do it, it probably is smarter to just smuggle chips out of a cheap tournament than to do this with the expensive tournament. Um, the World Series is careful that you get the same number of chips according to what your buy-in is for all events. And the ones that are not that way, like the satellites and stuff, they p- use different chips. So let's say you enter a $1,000 buy-in event at the World Series, you get 3000 in chips. You enter the $10,000 main event, you get 30000 in chips. You always get three times the chips of what the dollar value buy-in is. Now, you can still smuggle chips, of course, and I've always worried about that happening, and I always thought that uh, they should have more than one set of chips. They, well, they do have more than one set, but they should have, like, 30 sets of chips there. They shouldn't have, like, two or three sets like they do. But they should have a lot more than a few sets of chips because, yes, if you accumulate a huge stack in a 1K event, uh, smuggling 30K off your stack when the average stack is... 400,000 is not going to matter much, yet that 30k can be huge for you in another tournament when everyone, you know, when it's near the beginning. But still, at least the chips initially all cost the same. But when you're getting a lot of chips, when you're getting thousands of chips for a $100 event, and you can smuggle those same chips in to a uh, a five-figure buy-in event, or a four-figure, I think it was 5,000 to enter that thing. But whatever. You take chips from a cheap event, a very cheap event, like $100, and it's the same chips for the super expensive event. That's really opening up uh, for cheating. And that's terrible. And that's worse than what Mattisout is complaining about. So I didn't even know that until I read that in the chat. So that's really bad. And uh, a lot of times these casinos either don't care or don't realize it, or you have idiots running the tournaments. But they, they definitely need to change that. I mean, that's just ripe for cheating. 
I mean, it doesn't take a genius to even come up with this. So PLOL saying in the chat, yeah, in the $125 tourney, they gave you like 15 or 20k in chips. In the 5k, you got 30. So you can imagine, for 125 bucks, you can get like 15k in chips. And then just take a ton of them. Put them in your pocket when no one's looking. And, and smuggle them into the 5k. This does not take a criminal mastermind to do. Someone in the chat named Five Dollars asking me, Dan, are you Jewish? Yes. My name's actually not Dan. My screen name's Dan Druff, but my name is Todd Wittellis. But yes, I'm Jewish. Wow, really bad. Really, really bad that they are using the same chips for $125 buy-ins where you get 20k worth of chips and then you get 30k worth of chips for the 5k buy-in, the exact same chips. I'm sure there was cheating going on there. I'm sure there was. Wow. Hope they change that next year. Now, it was actually a very successful event. It easily broke the $10 million guarantee for the 5K buy-in. At first, a lot of people were thinking, wow, 5K buy-in, $10 million guarantee. That means that uh, they will have to get um, 2,000 people to uh, break that guarantee. But they did. They got more than that. And uh, that's because there was a lot of publicity for this one. A lot of publicity, and, and the $10 million just really stuck out to people. And I think people played it for a few reasons. One is there were some people who just were in denial and thought that the guarantee would not be reached and there would be a big overlay. And others who just felt that it's a big field and that the field would probably be weak. But I still don't think that field was big enough to be weak. I mean, it's not going to be as strong as your typical 5K event. But I have to think that... It's nowhere near as weak as the World Series of Poker main event field where you have six or 7,000 people playing. There, you just don't have enough players who are good enough that have that type of money to play. So you're always going to get weak players in the main event. Also, the main event of the World Series of Poker is just uh, it's such a high-profile event that you just get, you get people who play it. Like, I had a total amateur at my first table who said, I'm here because this is something I always wanted to do. That's why he played. Not because he felt he was ready, not because he felt he was good. Just it's something he always wanted to do. And of course, he was the first one out. So, you get those type of people in the main event. That's why I play it. But this uh, 5K in Florida doesn't have quite the same prestige as the World Series of Poker main. But uh, let's see in the chat how uh, PLOL liked it. He said it was uh, it was hit or miss. I think that's what he's trying to say. Oh, he's talking about the cash games there. I'm curious uh, from PLO how he felt the field was in the tournament. If he felt it was uh, soft, middle, hard. He said there were 600 satellite entrants, which, uh, you know, people criticize satellite entrants and say they all suck, and, and a lot of them do, but you have to understand for a satellite entrant to make it, they have to win or at least finish the top 10% of a satellite. So a lot of times you have good players who win their way in through satellites who just don't have very much of a bankroll. So, I wouldn't look down on all satellite players. Yes, there's some crappy satellite players that get through, but they do have to win something to get in. What you want, ideally, is someone to sit at the table who doesn't have to win anything in poker to get in. He says they also gave out some tickets through high hands at cash games. You know, like if you have a Royal Flush or whatever. So, I guess that's good. 
But uh, he did say it wasn't as soft as he thought it would be, PLOL saying in the chat. He says, Turney was not super soft, lots of good players, but still plenty of fish. That's about what I would think it would be. Like, like not a tournament where you're going, oh my god, everyone here is great, but uh, not where you're thinking, wow, this is easy, it's going to be a cakewalk, or wow, tons of dead money here. So, that's a story from uh, Seminole. I, I did not know about the chip thing. That's really bad. That's much worse than, than Mattisau was saying. Leave it to Mike Mattisau to focus on the wrong thing. Anyway, um, you know, I, it, I, Mike Mattisau, for all his problems, he, he's generally a nice guy. And um, I went to dinner with him once, not just me and him, but me and a few other people. And uh, I remember he, he did something nice, or said something nice. I shouldn't say did something, but uh, I remember one of the times my parents were in Vegas at the World Series watching me. And I have to assume he knew it was my parents, just seeing two older people standing next to me. But uh, he came up to us and said uh, something like, uh, you know what, this guy is one of the best Limit Hold'em players that I've ever seen. I thought that was nice of him to say to my parents there. I don't know if he really thought that, but nice of him to say. So I, I like Mike Matisau. I, I know he's made some mistakes. I know he's uh, he's pretty much his own worst enemy, but uh, in general, I like the guy. Not someone I'd want to model my life after, but uh, in general, I like the guy. Here's something I don't like, and that is... Uh, Ultimate Poker's business practices recently. Ultimate Poker, of course, being the new online poker room, legal online poker room, only for the state of Nevada, run by Station Casinos. The only legal online poker room you can play in the United States. You have to be physically located in the state of Nevada to play on it, but you do not have to live in Nevada. You just have to be physically located in Nevada. I've played on there on and off. Um, Now, I mentioned on this show previously... A lot of criticisms of a, a lot of criticisms of their software. I criticized the freeze ups, the crashes, the fact that the wrong card sometimes would display on certain computers, you know, on the board, which is really terrible. I also criticized a stupid policy they had, where when a heads up game starts, the two players draw for the button, even if it's just a matter of someone sitting out and sitting back in. So, let's say you're sitting there alone at a table. Someone sits with you. You draw for the button. Whoever gets the higher card gets the button. But then let's say one of the two players sits out two hands later. One hand later, even. You draw for the button again when he sit back in. Which is ridiculous. They should never draw for the button twice with the same two players. It should be continuous unless uh, someone leaves and, and doesn't come back for a specified period of time. So that was one problem. The other problem was, you know, so it got abused, and it got abused especially by people who were uh, button-free rollers. What they would do is they would sit down, draw for the button. If they won, they would play one hand, get the button, in, and leave. So they'd only have the button and never play out of position. And uh, if they did not win the button, they would just sit out. So they would do that to anyone sitting heads up. They'd play one hand only if they got the button. If they didn't get the button, they'd leave. So I complained about this at the time. When it happened to me, people victimized me this way, including one guy who pretended he was having connection problems when he was really just uh, sitting out to get back the button through, through the draw. 
I complained to them, and they you know they gave me a little money back for uh, for the, my trouble there, but uh, and for what had been done to me. But I was really hammering them hard for not fixing these problems. I was saying it's been weeks now since the stuff's been reported. Some of this is really easy to fix. Why haven't they fixed it? Why don't they give a crap? And someone really put me in my place on two plus two, or so I thought. They said, "You don't understand." This is not poker stars. They can't just change their software when they feel like it. They have a bureaucratic regulatory process to go through with the Nevada Gaming Commission. And whenever they change their software, they cannot put the new software online until it is certified. It has to be inspected and certified. They can't just make changes. They can't even make tiny bug fixes unless that software gets certified by the Nevada Gaming Commission. And that takes time. And I said, oh, all right. I guess that makes sense. Okay, sorry, Ultimate Poker. I'm sorry for criticizing your slowness in fixing these bugs. I guess you've fixed them the whole time, but you just can't put the new software up because you know you got to get the Gaming Commission to approve it. So, Ultimate Poker just rolled out a major change to their software. Whole thing looks different. Totally different software. And guess what? I was sitting alone. Some guy sat with me, got the button, won the hand, and ran. Then I looked, and another player was sitting alone. That guy sat with him, got the button, won the hand, and ran. So after all this, they didn't change it. They did not change the button abuse on Ultimate Poker. After swearing up and down, they're going to do it. And I thought all this time we've just been waiting for the new software to be approved by the Nevada Gaming Commission. Nope. They just never did it. And button abuse is still taking place. So, I reported the guy. I said, look, it's still happening. That was on Saturday. Today is Tuesday. I have not gotten as much of a response from Ultimate Poker. I got an automated response that they received my message, but I have not gotten a response yet from their support team. Nothing. It's a freaking joke. You might wonder, are they ignoring me? Is this aimed at me? Do they not like me because I've complained about them before on this show? No. The reason they are not responding to me is because they are very busy. Because their new software has other problems. There is a lot of crashing. There are cashier issues. There are tournaments disappearing after people's registered for them. All kinds of bugs that did not exist before. Not to say the software was perfect before. It had plenty of problems. But this new software is actually worse. So they are inundated now with people complaining about all this stuff and they just can't respond to it all, I'm sure. They didn't say that, but that's what I'm guessing. Because they have not responded to me at all about what happened with the button abuse. And it's been a few days. In general, the support on Ultimate Poker has not been good. One of my friends played on there and won several thousand dollars. Tried to cash some of it out. Now, they do have to go through a review process of, uh, I think what they said is three to five days or seven days. I forget what the review process time is. But he gave it that time. It took weeks until they approved him for the cash out. Not because he was suspected of any wrongdoing. And it was approved, ultimately. But they were just behind. They were just slow. They just weren't responding to him for a while. They're just way, way backed up with support 
and they are not hiring enough people for the job. I don't know why, but they don't have enough support staff on the job. So they're dropping the ball with support. They're dropping the ball with this new software, and they are not fixing major loopholes in their software that allow people to exploit these button things. And after countless reports about this, they don't even fix it on the new software. Terrible. This whole site is mismanaged. They can no longer use the excuse, oh, we were first to market, we're going to have the most problems. That does not explain the support lapses, that does not explain why they're not fixing bugs that they know have existed for months. That does not explain why the new software, which has been approved by the regulators, is so terrible and does not contain a lot of these bug fixes. It is just a mess over there. And I pray that WorldSeriesOfPoker.com gets their act together, gets the real money going on there, and crushes Ultimate Poker because they've really blown it. I no longer hope Ultimate Poker succeeds. I think Ultimate Poker has basically been a failure. And uh, they're just not handling it right. They're, They're almost acting like a monopoly. Like, hey, we're the only game in town, tough luck. Well, you're not going to be for long. Beer and Poker in the chat saying Ultimate Poker should have Prolod do a video after the latest software upgrade and say this is the new UP. <laughs> well, they did get a domain from UB. I forgot the name of it. It was like, I think ultimatepoker.com was actually owned by UB. I think that's what the domain was. Their main domain, I think, was originally owned by UB. And of course, they used that. Uh, CAMS software to do verification of the users that was then using Greg Pearson, UB Cheater Greg Pearson's company Iovation to verify customers. And remember when that whole Greg Pearson thing was discovered, they did not come back with a very good attitude. They did say, oh, sorry, we didn't realize this. Oh, sorry, you know, we realized what Greg Pearson did. We realized what that's what this looks like to the poker community. We're so sorry, we're going to drop him. No, they said, no, we're going to keep using them until they lose their license. It was only after a major outrage following that that they backed down and, and asked uh, CAMS to stop using that particular third-party verifier for U- Ultimate Poker. Anyway... I really hope that uh, WSOP.com beats them. And I know South Point is starting, their room has just gone up and you know it's not open for real money yet, but I hope when that room goes for real money also, I hope that beats them too. But I have a feeling South Point's going to be even more fail. I just don't think they're ready either. I think it's going to really come down to WSOP.com. They just, uh, I, I believe they have the most resources to get it right. But who knows? It's not like Caesars has a reputation for Avoiding fail. Quite the opposite. Which brings me to our final topic of the night. This is a warning to Caesars Seven Stars members. Seven Stars is the highest tier you could have of Players Club card at the Caesars Corporation. I am a Caesars Seven Stars member. 
as are a number of listeners to this show, as is former host of this show, Brandon Gerson. Seven Stars members get a number of benefits. I'm not going to go over them all. I've done it before. But uh, one of the benefits you get is free rooms in any of their properties and free internet when you're at the properties. So none of these obnoxious 1495 internet charges. You get it for free. You don't even pay a resort fee. Nothing. Well, I was at Caesars over the weekend. Took like a mini vacation to Caesars with uh, my girlfriend with Benjamin. Benjamin actually really loves Caesars. Benjamin actually talks about going to Caesars. Uh, he likes everything about Caesars. Probably because he doesn't understand the fail that, that occurs there. He likes being in a room high up where he can look down at the Bellagio fountains and you know see them shooting up in the air with all the lights. He likes uh, he likes swimming in the pool there. Benjamin really enjoys Caesars. He likes the restaurants there. He, he really enjoys Caesars, even though he's not even three years old yet. He actually calls it by name Caesars. So uh, I took him there this weekend. And um, I learned over time, I, I kept finding that my rewards credits, which are known as RCs, were disappearing after I would stay at, uh, at Caesars or other Caesars properties. And when I would look into where my reward credits went, I found out that a lot of times they were going to the internet. That basically, I'm supposed to get free internet, but I wasn't. And that when I would charge the internet to my room, which is what you're supposed to do, and then it, the charge is supposed to fall off, instead of falling off, it would just charge off of my reward credits. So it would take away $14.95 of my reward credits every time I would buy the internet, if I didn't catch it. When I caught it, they'd re- return the credits, but it was always a, a big hassle, and in some cases it took over an hour for them to do. So, tons of fail over there. Now, it seemed to improve recently, partially because I learned what to say to them. I learned when I checked in to say, is there a media profile on my account? And what that means is, do you guys have it set up to where if I charge the internet to my room, it will not bill to my reward credits or anything else? So, if they say there's no media profile, then I tell them to add it, and then everything's fine. So, I, I kind of preemptively strike. I, media profile is a Caesar's internal term that the customer shouldn't even know, but I know it because I know to ask for it, and this way I know that if someone forgot to put it on my room, that they can put it on there, and then the whole problem won't occur in the first place. I shouldn't have to ask for this, but I know Caesar's, I know all the fails, that's what I have to do. So, when I checked in this Friday, I asked about the media profile, and they said, yes, it's there. Now, that doesn't mean a lot. The last time I was at the Rio, I asked if there was a media profile there. They said yes. And then it turned out there wasn't, and uh, I got charged. But that's not what I'm talking about here. A really peculiar situation happened. Now, I ended up accumulating a lot of internet charges because you have to pay for every device. I don't, but you know, a normal customer does, who's not a 7-star. So my iPad, that's fourteen ninety five. My iPhone, that's fourteen ninety five. My girlfriend's iPhone, fourteen ninety five. My computer, fourteen ninety five. So you, know, you can imagine, and this is every day. So a lot added up here, but I didn't care. It was free. Except when I checked my reward credits, and I lost over a hundred dollars worth of reward credits that I knew I had not spent. So I went down and I said, "Look, you know, why is this happening so often? Every time I come here, it seems like like half the time I'm losing reward credits from this internet thing." Well, they told me they looked and they said, "Hey." We see it right here, media profile. It's there, and in fact, on this other screen, we show that 
the charges transferred over to the seven star program said there's no way you should have been billed and I said I don't care what you're saying that I shouldn't have been I was I definitely lost over $100 of RCs to these internet charges and I verified it with the total reward center there so I'm not just guessing this it wasn't something else it was definitely the internet that was charged to my reward credits well they were stumped they could not figure it out because as far as they could see everything on my reservation was set up properly they even saw it was billing to the seven stars program and yet they agreed that I was losing RCs at the same time well I got several calls back from them over the next few days with different theories as to how it was happening but finally they figured out the truth apparently there was some code that needed to be uh, that that, uh, was used to set up the media profile and that code which while appearing to be a good code on their computers somehow when it was internally processing that code was no longer good the code had changed and the old one kind of hung around there halfway to where it appears there as if everything's fine but then nothing can actually be built to it that was the explanation they gave me so they had to remove that old code from the database the one they've been using for a while and uh, and put the new code in and they said from now on we're using the new code and this will not happen to anyone now just to show you it was not my bad luck here or, or just one person using the wrong bad the wrong old code I talked to Brandon he just stayed at Caesars last week a few days before me he had the same thing happen but they didn't figure out why they just gave him back the credits like me Brandon is very diligent about checking what his RCs are the problem is it's very hard to see what your reward credit balance is or not so hard to see the balance but it's 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 hard to see where it's going unlike your credit card statement where you have an itemized statement where your reward credits are going or not reward credits on your credit card you see where your charges are going your reward credits you don't have the same thing where you can't see an itemized list you can email them and they'll sometimes send you one but it's 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 sometimes missing things it's not very reliable it's just very hard to keep track of your reward credits and where they're going there's no easy way to do it I try as hard as I can to do it but it's not really easy to do so my advice to you would be and by the way if you check on the totalrewards.com site it's always a few days behind as far as how many reward credits you have so don't count on that unless you want to see what your balance was as of like two or three days ago so my suggestion to you is if you are a seven stars member and you should have been getting the internet for free which all seven stars members do email total rewards right now and the way you email them it's it's not all that easy but let me there's one trick to doing it let me see in google um yeah go to google and type in total rewards contact and the the second link that comes up is caesar's customer service contact us they actually answer this email so like follow everything there Enter all the info you need to, then put, I want a list of my total reward, uh, of my reward credits redemptions from like a really early date, from January 1st, 2013 till now. And they'll do it. They'll, they'll email you. They'll, they won't, it won't always be right, but it's frequently right. And at least it's the best picture you can get of where your reward credits have gone. So say, please email me a list of all my reward credit redemptions since January 1st, 2013. And you'll get a list. Sometimes it won't be all that easy to decipher, but you'll see 
when they got spent and where they got spent. And if you see any of these 1495 internet charges on there, then you know to call up and get them back. I guarantee if you stayed in a Caesar's property, or at least Caesar's palace itself, over the past few weeks, as a seven star, you probably did get dinged with these reward credits the way I did and the way Brandon did. And I'm pretty sure they're not going back to refund everybody who got screwed, probably only the people who complain. So that's my tip for you about this and about everything else, because I have had literally hundreds of dollars, not just this hundred, but many hundreds of dollars of reward credits disappear that should not have, that I have caught. I once had them disappear because they didn't properly comp my room, and I was being charged $129 per day for my room instead of zero. No one told me, it was just coming off my RCs. So it's, and you can do this after the fact. Even if they made this mistake six months ago, they will give you back the RCs if you can prove they made a mistake. Which internet, they of course can never charge you, so that's obviously a mistake. So definitely go do that. If you're a Seven Stars member of Total Rewards, or even if you're not. If you have Total Rewards credits, I, I would do it. Even if you're Diamond or whatever. So, um, Beer and Poker says in the chat, Druff notices everything, but a lot of people probably don't look at their rewards or realize why they lost in some spots. And they shouldn't, and obviously Caesars wouldn't tell anyone unless they come to them about it. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, If you lost your RCs this way, especially something like $15 worth, $30 worth, you're probably not going to notice. So you should email them and have them send you the entire list of every reward credit that's been spent. Something else in the chat. Druff on 2 plus 2, a friend of Dutch Boyd, and he puts friend in quotes, so maybe it's not verified a friend, claims Boyd is seriously ill. Have you heard anything? Guessing he will jam it to the Kickstarter investors on his book. Well, I don't know anything about this. I know he looked healthy in that video he made for Seriously Serious a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago now. Like, during the World Series main event or right before it. Yeah, like a month and a half ago he made that video. He looked fine. He didn't look ill. But, I mean, I guess a lot can change in a month and a half with your health. I don't know. Um, it is true that that Kickstarter project, where he raised a lot of money, Let's see how much he ended up raising for his book, Dutch Boyd's... Uh, book about his experience at poker. I'm going to look right now how much he raised. I mean, I hated this from the start of, of uh, Dutch's uh, Kickstarter. Let's see if I can get to that page here. I'm having trouble finding the actual Kickstarter page here. Eh, doesn't matter. He raised a lot of money. I forgot. I think it was five figures he raised. Maybe someone in the chat can tell me what he ended up raising. I hate this Kickstarter thing. For those of you that don't know, Kickstarter is a site where you get people to give you money to start your own project. So, like, let's say you say, I want to write this great book about such and such, but I, I don't have the time to work a regular job and be an author. So if you guys could get raise $10,000 for me, I'll take such and such time off of work, use the 10000 to support myself and, and write the book. 
and then sometimes people get a piece of it, and sometimes they're just you know you're just doing it to be nice to the person. So that's what Dutch did basically, raised money for this book that he hasn't written yet or hasn't completed yet through Kickstarter. And I think especially someone like Dutch, yes, I'm being told he raised 9K. You don't give Dutch Boyd 9K for anything unless you get it immediately. You don't ever give him anything. You don't ever give Dutch Boyd 9K for anything in the future, given his track record. And I can say that about most poker players. Question for Matt the Rat in the chat. Druff, I assume the worst Caesars room is much, much better than the average Bally's room. Is that true? No. Um, let me tell you about the Caesars Towers. I like the Augustus Tower the best. I think it was built in like 05. It's pretty nice. Uh, try to ask for a high floor facing the Bellagio Fountains. That's always what I get. And um, those are nice rooms. I like them. Be careful about the floor number. Don't let them give you like the 26th floor. It'll sound like it's high, but it's really like the 5th floor. I think it starts at like 22 or 23. So, uh, anyway, I like Augustus the best. Second best is Octavius, which is actually newer. It was built in January 2012, and it's actually slightly nicer room-wise than Augustus, but it has no view. So if you like views, I'd go for Augustus. Also, Augustus is closer than Octavius. Octavius is a real long walk to everything. So Caesars is a very big property. There's a lot of walking. So you'll want to cut that down. So I would stay away from Octavius for that reason, too. Not that Augustus is close, but uh, Octavius is even further. Um, so Octavius is second best But uh, you may like it If you don't really care about a view I like the view because uh, Number one I just like the, I like watching the Bellagio Fountains I think it's relaxing And, and uh, Benjamin loves it So when he's with me I always have to get Augustus um, Then there's the Palace Tower Which is a little bit older It's okay It's not bad Augustus is definitely nicer But uh Palace isn't bad. I forget if there's a view there or not. Then there's the Forum Tower, which is older. I would avoid that if you could. Then the worst tower is the Roman Tower. That's the oldest tower. I think it was built in the 60s. I stayed in it once because they stupidly gave away my room when they weren't supposed to, and they were totally full and couldn't give me anything. So I got stuck in the Roman Tower for a night. I I didn't feel like I was at Caesars. I felt like I was in some crappy hotel in the 70s. I'm not kidding. It did not look like Caesars. It's a it's a dump, the Roman Tower. I would stay away from that. Uh, there used to be a tower called the Centurion Tower, which is also old. Strangely enough, it's been converted to the Nobu Hotel. So I don't know if the Nobu Hotel is nice, because they took an old tower and renovated it, but sometimes there's only so much you can do to renovate those things. Um... JSTAT saying Diamond members are, and up are allowed to stay in the Augustus Tower. Um, Matt the Rat saying Nobu is expensive. Yeah, it is. Both the Nobu Hotel and the uh, restaurant are expensive. I will say the Nobu restaurant's very good. Um, my girlfriend loves it. I actually took her and Benjamin there on Saturday night. And uh, it was expensive, but it was very good. I'm not a sushi eater, but. Uh, I found other things there that I liked. And they, they just do a very good job on, on everything they serve. And the service is very good there. Very, very gracious servers. Everybody's very nice. So, um, I like Nobu, even though it's it's very expensive. But I've never been in the hotel. 
So as far as Bally's go, you know, it's it, Bally's isn't terrible. What I hated most about Bally's, you know, the rooms were old. It's the old MGM Grand, the place they had the fire in, in 1980. Uh, what I, I hated the most about Bally's was the noise. I, I got Last time I stayed there, I got a room that uh, faced Flamingo, and it was so freaking noisy, I couldn't stand it. Uh, Matt the Rat, hello. Hey, hey, hey. <clears throat> so what's going on? No, yeah, I brought that up because... Uh... I'll probably be doing a, just a short week trip down there in September. And I have, like, I'm comp for, like, Bally's and Flamingo and, you know, Paris and stuff like that. Not, and um, some of the, I think the Caesars was the Roman, but I was just kind of wondering where the best place, like, I'm only a platinum and I'm only offered so much, but I'm just wondering where the best place to stay would be that, you know, for for free. Yeah, well, okay, so stay away from the Caesars Roman. It's crap. It's really crap. Um, yeah. As far as uh, if I could not stay at Caesars, uh, Paris can be an okay place to stay. That's a decent place. It's, it's not as nice as Caesars, but it's not bad. Um, Planet Hollywood is very average, but it, again, it's okay. It's it's not bad. It's just very average. And, um, and then you also, believe it or not, uh, want to look at the Rio. The Rio is not a terrible place to stay, uh, it, as long as you get used to its idiosyncrasies. There's a, uh, you know, it, there are parts of it that are starting to get uh, maintenance problems, but uh, I, I don't hate staying at the Rio. I prefer Caesars, but uh, sometimes I actually will pick the Rio second instead of Caesars because I, I sometimes just don't like the whole thing of the traffic getting into Paris. I, I, I hate driving on the Strip itself. I can get into Caesars without touching Las Vegas Boulevard through tricks I've posted before on the site. And Rio's not even on this trip. Paris, there's no way to do that. So, Yeah, the one, the one thing with the Rio, though, I mean, unless you're playing the WSOP, it's kind of out of the way from the Strip. Right, right. So if you want to walk to anything, you definitely don't want to be at the Rio. I have a so car and I drive it everywhere. it sounds like so. Paris might be kind of the best option of, like, the free comps that I'd probably get. Yes, it, it, it probably would be. And, and it has a good location as far as walking to places because, you know, it's, it's across yeah. the street from, like, where the Bellagio is. And it's, yeah, uh, I mean, I've stayed at the Flamingo years ago. It's kind of not so not so great. And, I mean, I haven't stayed at Harrah's. Yeah, Harris is Harris is kind of crappy. It's uh, they, They've said, though, wasn't, didn't they totally remodel it or something? I, I don't know. You may want to look into that. I don't know if they've remodeled Harris, but uh, I, I was at Paris not too long ago, last year, and it, it was fine. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good because I, well, I live in Vancouver, and I can go across the border to uh, Bellingham and Washington State, and on a Legionnaire, it's like return everything. It's only two hundred bucks, so it's oh. it's a good little trip if you're on vacation to go down for two hundred bucks and get a free room. Yeah, you know, I always forget, you know. I've never had to go through a big production to go to Vegas, no matter where I've lived. So, I've never lived too far from Vegas. A lot of times, you know, I was in Vegas for a long time. But even when I wasn't, you know, I was. It was always just a drive away, and I never had to worry about flying there. And I forget that other people they have to deal with all that. So, is there anything interesting happening in September? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't really yeah. keep track of what's happening in Vegas. I'm probably not going to play any big tournaments or just I'm just going down for because it's only 200 bucks and I'm on holidays. So yeah, and I will tell you that like in Bellagio, the cash games are much better when there's nothing going on poker wise, much better. Yeah, you really want to hit the off times. The games won't be as big and they won't be as active, but when they run, the percentage of fish is much higher and the percentage of good players is much lower. So oh, I'm sorry, where was that? 
At Bellagio, if there's nothing going on, like the oh, worst yeah, time yeah. to play at Bellagio is during the midsummer during the World Series. Worst by gotcha. far. Best time to play is uh, the off season when when people are not there for poker. You you have the typical grinders that are there, but then you have a lot of tourists who suck, and you have a lot fewer good players in town. Yeah, and Hotshot said the area daily tournament. <laughs> when I was down there for the WSOP, I actually uh, I played the nightly, and I ended up sitting beside him. And it's funny because he actually lives in Langley, where the same city I live in, oh, which so is he... kind of funny. I didn't know that until we were kind of talking on the chat before, and he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be down there, and I ended up sitting right beside him in a tournament. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So... Yeah. Anyway, okay, we'll talk to you later. Okay, thank you very much, Matt. So that was Matt the Rat calls in uh, fairly frequently to the show. Enjoy hearing from, hearing from him, a long-time listener to the show. And uh, with that, we're done. So, I guess I did have no co-host tonight. show started on time, so even though we're ending a little bit before 10 o'clock, the show is almost a full three hours, and... Uh, some weeks we have more, some weeks we have less. But, um... I'll tell you the truth. I've actually been trying to keep these shows a little shorter recently, because, uh... Benjamin just stays up so late. He just does not like going to sleep early. He takes after me. I did the same crap when I was a kid. So, um... His mom goes to sleep early. And, um... I don't want Benjamin to torture her all night and keep her awake, so... But trying to end the show a little bit earlier recently, and... Since it's been kind of slower with poker news recently, then uh, it's been easier to end the show early. It's the only good thing about having this material. I'd like to thank everybody who participated in the chat room and talked to me there, and uh, Matt the Rat for calling in. No TMML gay this week. wonder where he is. No bad guy either. Kind of quiet on the phones. Anyway, I will be back next week. Maybe with a co-host. Maybe not. September 3rd. 7 o'clock Pacific time is when you can expect this show again pretty much every Tuesday night without fail once in a while I'm not here but almost every Tuesday I'd say maybe 48, 49 times a year on Tuesday you can hear me on Poker Fraud Alert doing this radio show actually not true sometimes I move the show to Wednesday or Monday but I'd say once a week about 49 weeks out of the 52 that would be my guess it's not easy to make it every Tuesday but uh, I try because I know you guys count on this show I know a lot of you enjoy the show and I always enjoy hearing from people who like the show so if, if you're a fan of the show and I haven't really heard from you before send me an email or send me a PM always happy to hear from listeners even ones I don't know especially ones I don't know thank you for listening whether you're here in the archives or here live in the chat room always appreciate all my listeners here and try to make the show what you'd like to hear not just what I'd like to say That's all for tonight. Good night, and as always, Shalom.